We are rolling. Are you rolling on there? Rolling. <clears throat> okay, so this is my testimony episode something I've lost track. And um, basically where I sit down with people and we talk. And um, be sure to subscribe. Be sure to hit the like button. Comment questions below. Do whatever you want. Wear whatever you want. Think whatever you want. But enjoy. So, how was that for an intro? Is that the way you always do it? Yeah. I'm Sam. We've got George Torres back here. And you were episode three. And I feel like I'm on a talk show right now. <laughs> but uh, that's why I try to roll into the first question as quick as possible. And that is, who is your God? My God uh, is Judeo-Christian, I guess you could say. <clears throat> is a, not an evolutionary God, but... Um, I'm evolving, but you know, through understanding who God is. But my God is basically based on um, who God is in the Bible. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Now we're gonna dive into the top ten, top one hundred question, unanswerable questions. <laughs> I have to figure. We're, I don't know. Some of these I think are really silly, but uh, what is the meaning of life? Um, <clears throat> if you're five years old, life is different than if you're 10 years old. And if you're 15 years old, it's still different. You know, you're getting into puberty and whatever, you know. Uh, but life at my age, you know, would be um, middle age. <clears throat> and that's, um, can you edit that out? <laughs> I already told you that. You saw the last one. You know that all yeah. these things Well, just... life is, uh, you know, people use the term loosely. Yeah. And they'll say, uh, you know, uh, well, that's life. You know, well, what is life? What does Webster Dictionary say life is, you know? Life is what's inside of a, an organic being. And uh, his spirit is what causes him to breathe, you know? That's life. Or you can use life in, in a term like, you know, what goes on around you, you know, reality. Uh, what's life for you? You know, my world is, is a world of working with cars, working with people, uh, transporting cars or transporting people, you know, getting them from point A to point B. And in the process of all that, <clears throat> I have to establish my status quo, you know, along with my social status. So I'll have a status quo because if you have a, if you can have a social status, but at one time it's got to make you money. And where I make money is, is uh, uh, I work on people's cars and uh, things don't always go right. They, I mean, things go wrong all the time in ordering the part, getting the part, what have you. So life for me is basically life, you know, in, in George's dictionary, not Webster, it would be, you know, the, the going-ons uh, of my life, you know, uh, getting up in the morning and the struggles of life, the, a lot of... Uh, Things don't go together. Yeah. Don't be a mechanic. Don't let your kids be a mechanic unless, you know, they have intense amount of patience, you know, because it's terrible. But life is, um, <clears throat> for me, is from that perspective. It's basically through me, you know, uh, is how I see life. But if, if you're asking from a philosophical point of view, which, which do you know which one you mean? I... Just what is life? Yeah, what is life? <laughs> the whole time I, that you were speaking, all I could think about was was I. 
I put part one on that video, and and you never really did finish that story, and uh, I didn't I didn't ref I didn't I didn't go back to it, and um, but I, from what I think I remember from it is that you were telling me that um, you were in the hospital at that time, and there was a mysterious doctor that you were talking to, and then you were trying to find him, and then you couldn't find him, and you asked a nurse, and that's kind of where the video cut off. Oh, okay. This was an experience that I had back in 1986, and the reason why yeah. I remember that was because my son was, uh, my, my son was in gestation with, you know, inside my wife's belly. Yeah. <laughs> Six months. <clears throat> and she was in a hospital with an aneurysm, and um, she had just got out of surgery, and I walked into the room and to, you know, see how she's doing. And she said, did you see the guy that was just in here? And I said, no, uh, well, what about him? And she said, well, you know, he just came in here and said that everything was going to be okay. I'm going to have four children, you know, and um, everything is going to work out okay. And he had long hair <clears throat> and he had a beard and a robe on. Well, I, I, I did start, you know, I, I thought maybe she was maybe delusional because of the surgery. Mm-hmm. And then come to find out later on, when they do this surgery, you're wide awake, you know, so that they know what they're touching and your hand tickles or you taste something or, you know, because uh, they know whereabouts, I guess, are out on That's your crazy. brain. You know, it's kind of weird. But so she was quite coherent. I just, not knowing what surgery is all about and all that, and I just thought maybe, I just went along with it. I said, well, what guy, you know, short guy, tall guy? Yeah, and so I went outside to see if I could find this guy because she was really focused on someone coming in there and visiting with her and sitting with her and reading with her. And she just got put in there after surgery. So I uh, <clears throat> came back and I, I didn't see anybody. I asked actually the lady at the counter. I said, has anybody been in the room? She says, uh, no, I, you know, we were the last one in there. I said, who? Me and, and your wife. I put her in there and then I came out. And that's it. Uh, I said, so is there a priest or something that comes around and reads to patients? And she said, no, we have a chaplain that comes around, uh, but he doesn't come till Thursday or something like that. And it wasn't Thursday. So anyway, uh, I went back inside the room and she said, did you see him? I said, yeah, the short guy. She goes, no. I said, kind of tall guy? She says, uh, no. Medium height? Yes. You know, she goes, you didn't see him. Come over and sit down. I'll tell you something about him. So I sat down and she said that he came in and sat with her and uh, read her the Bible, read the four Gospels. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't, at that time I didn't read very much uh, the Bible, and but I knew reading four Gospels was a lot of reading. Mm -hmm. And to read all four and not, uh, uh, in, you know, in that short period of time, it didn't seem right. But she went on to say that... Uh, uh, that he was a real nice person, and uh, and at the time, you know, I thought <clears throat> this is really strange because she didn't have any family that came over to visit her at the time, and I didn't have any family either, and so she was having this major surgery, and during the time I was in, in the truck going to the desert, I thought to myself that this was a little uh, unusual that she's telling me somebody came because I, would, I had just cursed God that morning and said, are you too big to come down and sit with her and, you know, at least read with her, you know, just comfort her? Yeah. And then her saying this, you know, 
it was kind of weird that possibly God came down, sat with her. Uh, Jesus might have came and sat with her and read her the Bible, or an angel, you know, could have done that. And I didn't believe in God at the time. I was pretty much an atheist. But I did cry out to God because I was in a lot of distress at that time of my life, you know, <laughs> and our lives. So, um, but uh, do you want me to continue with the story, or did you have other questions? Or? Yeah, I mean, it was it was a part of your testimony. I the first is it, it's grown, you know, since the sitting down with the first person, and now to episode whatever it is. Yeah. Well, basically, the story was. The experience, I should say, not mm -hmm. the story, but the experience that happened was <clears throat> we were married for two, three years, and, uh, and then our first child was coming along. and um, Not that one. No, this is our youngest, yes. By the way, you can sit in on this. For what? You, you, can totally, you can totally sit in on this if you'd like. Oh, yeah. I just have to make sure I keep an eye on the clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Okay. I'll chime in. You join in when we start talking about Aquaman. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the story was it's kind of missed. Uh, how do you say? You know, it, it it is a story. And if you hear it from an ignorant man, well, it's just a story. It mm -hmm. uh, could be a, a fable or it could be a <clears throat> make believe story, what have you. But this was a real experience that literally happened. You don't go around telling a story because some people think that you're not all there. But the story basically was how God introduced himself to me and how I became a Christian and how I became a follower of Yeshua or, you know, Jesus. And uh, <clears throat> it was through a, a very dramatic experience and uh, a time of my life where I was basically hating life because nothing was going right. You know, it just uh, uh, those Leave it to Beaver shows that you saw when you were a kid and even uh, the Flintstones where there was family and everything was going great. Nobody ever paid bills in those shows, you know. <clears throat> Nobody ever struggled. You, you never saw anybody, you know, and leave it to Beaver, in the hospital having a, a surgery on their brain or anything like that. So in one sense, that wasn't life. That was like a, a utopia, a, a make-believe show. But this was real life that was going on. And we came from... Corpus Christi, Texas, we drove in a 1977 Cordova that I uh, repaired in 24 hours, basically. I was determined to leave Corpus and get to California. I don't know why. But I <clears throat> I uh, tore the head off and had a, a bent valve and a blown piston. I dropped the pan from the bottom and pulled the... I was only 19 years old at the time, you know. And how did I know to do this? I don't know. I just had a gift for working on mechanical things. And so... Uh, in 24 hours, we're ready to go, and we jumped in the car and took what little clothes we had. We were just married, and we drove to, to Texas, I mean, from Texas to California, about 1,500 miles, and I didn't have any sleep. And when I got here, uh, finally, um, I'd been awake some something like 72 hours. And so I was very delirious and, you know, uh, got real sick. My immune system broke down, and I was out of it for two weeks. So it was life was a struggle for us when we got married. And then we um, stayed at an aunt's house. She was a nice lady, but it was too expensive to live there. It's 200 bucks a week, and that was a lot of money for me. And so I got a job uh, working as, you know, on transmissions, you know, taking them out. I wasn't quite an expert yet at that time. Um, and um, th two years, three years, two years later, uh, that's when... Uh, 
we we lived in a camper shell for uh, two years, two and a half years, basically homeless. And uh, when we finally got out of that, in the first place we get is one bedroom apartment. And my wife was in in there uh, one day, and so was I. Came home from work, and she said, "Would you like for for dinner?" And I said, uh, "Anything, whatever you want to make." Now, did, I already said talked about this part, right? I think so. <clears throat> okay, so <clears throat> anyway, still uh, recapping. This is just a summary. Yeah. So anyway, she. Uh, she had her convulsions then, and mm-hmm. uh, the doctors, I mean, the, the emergency room, the, the ambulance came and took her to the emergency room, and where they couldn't find anything wrong with her other than she was having continual convulsions. Uh, so they um, didn't know what they were going to do, but they knew that at any moment she could be dead because it was an aneurysm that was uh, shorting out or something like that. And I knew... Uh, my mom knew a doctor when I was a kid that she worked with as an interpreter, and she uh, spoke highly of him of some of these things that he had done, some of these incredible things. Anyway, I called my mom, got the phone, gave it to the doctors, the doctors, and asked for his advice and his expertise to come and look at her and run a, his own CAT scan, and he did. Found an aneurysm in her brain, <clears throat> a malformation of arteries that they said that uh, was the problem, and. Uh, this was an aneurysms you don't survive typically, not like that. You, you know, I don't know what the odds are, but they're very high that you could survive an aneurysm. Did you write any of this down? <clears throat> any of the story? Yeah. No, never. Did you ever write like while you were going through this? I wrote poetry. I wrote a lot of poetry, but not in you know, uh, not about this. You know, yeah. uh, every time I tell the story, I remember something else. It's kind of Kind of interesting that when you t- give a testimony, it, it changes, but not that you change it. You just remember something else that happens, and so I think that's probably why it's a good idea to keep sharing it, sharing <laughs> it, and having testimonies. But in my case, I didn't share it for a number of years because it was too weird. <clears throat> it yeah. was I went through the desert, left her at the hospital. They were doing surgery and went through the desert, and uh, that's where I encountered God in different uh, through different people that tried to help me. Mm-hmm. And then as I learned my Bible, late years later, you know, 20, 30-something years later, you know, there's a passage in the Scripture that says in the 13th chapter, you know, be, be aware that we may entertain angels unaware, something like that, that we can entertain angels unaware. And uh, is a dog an angel? Is, is, a, is a man an angel? Uh, <clears throat> somebody that shows up out of nowhere, you know, and... Uh, does something for you and very nice for you, you know. Could an object so, be an angel? Uh, no, could be used to get your attention, like hit you over the head with it. <laughs> but uh, no, this, these act. were people. <clears throat> these were people that came in and out of my life at that time uh, when I was going through the desert. Um, several events happened that were kind of not natural. One that I left at uh, three in the morning and. As I headed down the five freeway, it was dark, and then the lights went completely out in my truck, and, the, and it was a brand new Freightliner. Uh, there was no reason for that to happen, but I was pretty upset, so I just floored it, and I figured, you know, <clears throat> life is nothing but a pain in the rear, <laughs> and it just doesn't ever seem to go my way, and I'm driving a truck, brand new truck, and it's defective, and the headlights went out, the dash lights went out, so I'm going by the lights of the freeway, and I cursed God. 
And then that's when I said, you know, are you, you know, this is amazing. Are you too big? Or do you really exist, you know, with two churches, a kid, a Catholic church, you know, all my kid life. And uh, when I got older, I, I, I dropped out of it. It just wasn't real enough for me. So I... Do you still curse them? <clears throat> do I still curse them? No. No. Sometimes I, I'll curse, but I won't curse him. You know, I just, it's not the same. Back then, uh, I cursed him because... Uh, um, not that I was leaving, I, I wanted a life like Live at the Beaver, but I wanted uh, a life like they showed on the TV, you know, where you have a wife, you know, you have a nice home and you have uh, things go your way and you don't have bills. <laughs> I, think <there's> a modern <laughs> day, I think there's a modern day Leave it to Beaver going on. Is that right? Really? Yeah, oh, this yeah. phenomenon of seeing a screen and uh, believing that that is um, well, I used, how it should be. Mm. I use Leave It to Beaver because, you know, growing up, coming home from school and, and then seeing that and everybody's dressed, you know, nice clothes and they never wrinkle and uh, mm -hmm. everything's always perfect. If it wasn't that, it was Ozzie and Harriet, uh, the Ozzie and Harriet show. Again, it was another uh, sitcom family, uh, what appeared to be normal. And then later on, it was uh, Three's Company. And then, you know, things started evolving where, you know, co Women and guys are living together, not even married, don't so that's totally. Yeah, we got the bachelor, <coughs> revolutionary. And the bachelor and, uh, yes, know. and before that, they, they was uh, here's this was it uh, here's this lady uh, Brady Bunch. Now it's kind of moving into that. The Brady Bunch basically is um, uh, a lovely woman marries this guy with three children of his own, and she has three girls of her own. And the two come together, and they uh, have a happy marriage. And I thought that they made those kids all together. No, they, they didn't. No, I mean I didn't watch. I didn't watch. The only reason I had to watch guys were watching Brady Bunch was because like I had to. You know, like that was the only thing on it. On yeah. The TV. Okay. And it was just like, well, if you listen to the beginning of the of the, of the show, it says here's a story of a lovely lady who was busy with three girls of her own. Till the one day that this lady met this fella, and something about it. he had three children of his own, and they were, you know, you don't think about well, he must have divorced somebody to have the, you know, he has three kids, so yeah. did he divorce? Did he? She died. They never talk about their ex spouses in this. <laughs> we ought to recreate it. No, <laughs> yeah. show like the back end of the story. Not <laughs> <laughs> a bad idea. Then that's real life. Yeah, because they well, that's what it is today now, though. Is that the reality television is like okay. is like a reflection of like the that like yes, it went the opposite direction at one point. Like yeah, you the, know what I mean. And it's more interesting. Yeah, it is. I think it's far more interesting that you know maybe uh, <clears throat> somebody breaks a leg, you know, on a bike, or you know, almost loses their life, or sure. something more real to that. Death is introduced into television now. I mean, it's it's more interesting to wear this than if I was wearing a suit and, and if you were wearing a suit and we were in an office having this conversation. <laughs> yeah, you see, you know, th there was other shows like uh, Bewitch. Yeah. And Bewitch, you know, they introduced you to a a wife, you know, she had a little girl named Tapitha and she had this husband named, uh, <clears throat> I can't remember his name, but here's a, uh, a lovely witch, you know, in, in a nice marriage and Whenever she wants something, she just wiggles her nose and she could make this, make that, make can things happen. That? Yeah, you, you know. know. Can, can you, can you no, do, no, but see, can you wiggle your nose you, like? you're growing up and 
th this stuff that's not even real, people find entertaining that it's life, okay? And then you're thrown out into the world and your concept of life is not that there's a, a genie in a bottle or a witch in a house or leave it to beaver or, you know, My Three Sons. That was another sitcom show. But there was a lot of these shows. I guess you can say there's a lot of pastime. You could kind of sit down and watch these things. And that television was not reality. It was funny. It was uh, something to look forward to. You came home, you sat down, and you watched it. You know, if you had your grades were good, you could watch television, black and white screen. <laughs> but now this was real life. You know, this is where the where the wheels came, the tires came off, and it was metal to the pavement. You know, of things going wrong. Uh, the lights went out. You know, in the dark. Of course, you know, lights do go out in the dark, but not when you're driving a semi with headlights on, and they just co completely cut out. And I was driving in the dark, and I was pretty upset at if there was a God, I was going to be upset at him. Uh, again, there was a concept of God. And uh, so I'm, I'm driving as fast as I could. It didn't matter. <clears throat> I couldn't see my speedometer anyway. And uh, cars, while I was zipping right by them, they were wiggling, you know, because uh, they, out of fear and seeing this big old 45-foot tractor come past them. And so uh, what was crazy, I mean, that's not crazy. What's crazy is that, um, I looked in my rearview mirror and I saw light, big bright light. And at one moment I thought it was maybe a, a police officer following, but the light got so bright that it lit my path in the dark. And so I just drove out of fear and out of uh, necessity because I needed to get back. I, my my wife was having surgery for eleven hours, and so this was kind of a way to kill time. Had no choice because the boss said I couldn't take the day off. They needed that uh, shipment of doors and door jams taken to this to uh, <clears throat> Lancaster. And you needed the money. <clears throat> I needed the money because uh, I needed to pay the rent on a single, you know, sing, single story uh, apartment uh, or duplex, one bathroom, one room, one everything, you know. And she almost died there, you know. And so I had to keep you know the money coming even though it felt like why should i yeah you know i could have been you know deciding to just heck with it all and life's too hard but i had an obligation to my wife you know she she was my wife and i was you know of course i had an obligation you know it's all i had and then she had uh our son in there and, and that's all we had and so you just kind of know how to survive i guess not seeing anybody else do that and uh so the lights, when, I, when the lights came on, <clears throat> I was able to drive. I didn't have to pull over. And then I started to snake up the I-14 Antelope Valley Highway. By this time, the sun was now up, and I, my mind just kind of like went out of thinking that a miracle had just taken place, that the lights got lit up so I didn't have to pull over and not have to lose time. I could be back within the 11 hours to see my wife. And as I was snaking up the mountain, the... The load looked okay. I looked on my mirrors and I could see everything was fine. And then I looked again and the load had shifted. And um, I think I told you that story that I was angry and I jackknifed the truck on gravel and it shifted too far one way. And I, so I, <clears throat> I couldn't drive like that. So I cut the bands off. And at that, after that, it all fell over. And I started loading the truck and, uh, and I cried out to God that I needed some help. And I didn't know how to pray. So I prayed to our father. 
uh, in the Catholic Church, you know, when you do your first communion, they teach you how to our say Father, our Father. Our Father who art in heaven, how be thy name, <clears throat> thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us for our trespasses and forgive those who trespass against us. Give us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yeah, I heard one little kid say, uh, forgive us for our trash baskets and, and those who put trash in our baskets. <laughs> Which is accurate. Yeah, that was actually a Vernon McGee uh, a thing I heard when he was preaching once and talked about how, how kids have a different perspective of life and how they see things and hear things. Yeah. And uh, I thought that was kind of cute. Um, but yeah, I grew up Catholic, so it, I know it. Okay. I know it till the day I die. <laughs> well... You know, then they taught you the rosary and all that other uh, prayers that went with, you know, oh, yeah, I know being a Catholic and stuff, you know. But uh, anyway, uh, I was an atheist, even though I, I, I didn't, I couldn't get into the Hail Mary thing, because I guess because I said so many Hail Marys on the rosary, I was sick of Hail Mary. Yeah. You know, our father, you know, it comes in between each Hail Mary after 10 Hail Marys and you get an all falls. So I wasn't, I wasn't so bad, you know. <laughs> so I... Uh, after I recited the Our Father, and I said, there's your prayer. Now, where are you? <laughs> you know, just being sarcastic. And uh, and it was very hot. It was I was sweating, and then all of a sudden a small car pulls up, and this young man comes out of there, and he's pretty short, and he's driving a, a, a Nissan. A Nissan. Uh, a Nissan, yeah, because, uh, you know, they, were, they weren't real popular cars back then. They were starting to get popular, and everybody called them Nissans. Yeah. Nobody knew how to say Nissan. What? I remember. I actually remember this very clearly. And correct me if I'm wrong. He was a short guy, not a real stocky guy. But this was the guy that you were delivering it to. Yes, I was actually. Uh, yes, uh, he he started helping me. And, and how, where the angels come into play is angels do extraordinary things. Yeah. Okay, <clears throat> they're extraordinary beings. What is an angel? Exceptional powers. Other than not an object. Yes, right. Other than not an object, this is, you know, it can come in, you know, form of an animal if you read the book of Ezekiel, you know, and there's animals there that are strange. But this person, why he was unique was because we had uh, these fire doors that went in the garage and they're, they're anywhere from 200 to 300 pound doors. And they're supposed to uh, keep the fire in the garage, slow it down before it burns the house down. <laughs> and they're they're made out of cement, some some kind of a composite cement, not quite all cement, but they're heavy doors, and so they're garage door fire doors, okay, and that's what they were for. And so I had some of these on the truck, and then I also had some regular doors that were uh, pretty heavy too, 150, 200 pound doors, but the fire doors were just extremely heavy. And I kept those on the bottom, <clears throat> and uh, some of those went off when I cut the bands. Everything wrote, fell off, and some of those doors slid off too with the load. And so he was handing me these doors, uh, like I would hand you this book, like that, you know, and uh, and I would grab it like this on my knee because it was a pretty heavy door. <laughs> I couldn't just grab it like this. I mean, I'm. Uh, 150, 60 pounds, and here's a door that's 200-something pound door. Normally, you grab a door like that, you slide it off, you pick it up, and I used to kind of, I was pretty strong, I had a pretty strong upper body, I could pick up a 200-pound door like nothing, and even a 300-pound door, you know, and if I carried it the right way and moved it around, uh, well, he was handing them to me like this, and he was shorter, and he wasn't even leaning, 
and I, I'm looking underneath the door, <laughs> and there's someone else helping him to hold those doors up. But he was just handing them to me like that, and I didn't want to show that I was weaker than he was, a little short guy. And we got the doors loaded, and we got the door jams loaded on, and uh, <clears throat> he says, uh, so where are you going? And I said, well, I'm going into Lancaster. He says, uh, really? And he looks at the load, looks the load over again. He's good. He goes, uh, you don't happen to have, uh, there's another thing I remember, he says, like, what did he say? He said, uh, the, the, the shipments I remember was something like 250 door jams and uh, 80 doors, and, you know, and he started going over the list. So I didn't remember, you know, the bill of lading, so I went and grabbed the bill of lading, and sure enough, he was right. Everything that he was naming was on that list. Mm -hmm. And and then I said, uh, he goes, he looks at the, the list. He says, "Oh, that's my company." I said, "Well, do you have some ID? You know, here's a guy just helped me out, and, and I'm asking for some ID. You know, just in case he might be wanting to hijack my load." <laughs> and he says, "No, I got in a hurry. My father sent me, and I didn't have time to uh, get my wallet, and I just came out in a hurry, and and so here I am, and I saw you, and I just thought I'd come and help you." You know, and if you kind of look at this, even though it, it's, there's a lot of God in it, in a sense, my father sent me to help you to find the way. Because, <laughs> and then he looks at that paper and he says, wait a minute, this isn't the right address. We were, this is way across town. We're in a totally different place now. And, and I that said, gal does not ever get anything wrong. Right. Lila never makes a mistake. Lila I said, was her name. Yeah, Lila was her name. I said, you know, this will be the first. Yeah. I said, unless you're trying to hijack my load. And he goes, no, no, I spoke to Lila. And he starts telling me about Lila and stuff, uh, that they've ordered stuff from her before. And uh, this is for uh, like door manufacturing. And the subsidiary group was uh, Anderco Door. And uh, so we were we were the subsidiary group of like and so anyway, she'd been with the company for a lot of years. So I, uh, I said, what have I got to lose? You know, I got a wife who's dying in the hospital. I'm thinking, I didn't tell, I didn't divulge that to him. But, yeah. you know, and so I don't care. They said, drop it off. I'm going to drop it off. Because I was already going to drop it off there <laughs> in the middle of the highway and head back and say, you know, just so I could get back to my wife. I was very desperate. And nothing was going right anyway. <clears throat> so uh, I left the truck running, of course, and uh, I followed him into Lancaster. And we went, uh, this neighborhood was not even on the map. And we drove and drove and drove into the desert. And uh, finally, we come to the job site. Yeah, so you, t you told me this part. Because I, I could tell it almost as, as good as you. Yeah, it's good. Because you, 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 you drove all the way down there. And then whenever you got there... You found yourself alone, right? You found yourself completely alone, and then you were thirsty, and then you and you you stumbled upon some water, and then a man came and approached you, and you scared him off. Well, well, sort of. What the the guy that you're, that I scared off was? Uh, <clears throat> what happened is, after I got there, he had all these men that came out and they helped me to unload the truck. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I didn't really have a chance to put my hand on the doors. But everything came off, and they started just hustling these doors and these door jams off. The truck, next thing you know, that 45-foot truck was completely unloaded. It was a flatbed. And uh, I jump in. The, he signs the bill of lading. I jump in the truck, and uh, he signs it. it in his father's name. Yeah. You know, isn't that something? He signs it in his father's name. 
because his father, you know, was the owner of the company. And so he said, I said, is that your name? Is well, it's my father's name. Did you know the Bible? Did you know the story no. of the gospel, like, at all at this no. time? I just knew, you know, I didn't even know John 3.16, you know. I, I didn't know. The only thing I could quote was the Our Father. So what you're saying is so all, all of these things happen, and then you go and you, you open up the Bible, and then now you're reflecting on all of this stuff, all of this crap you went through. Yes. And, and, and then you go, oh, my God, this is, I well, lived... Exactly. When you read John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe. Well, God so loved the world, he moved into action. Yeah. And it's funny because in the Spanish it says, and in principio, it's verbo. And it, uh, it says, basically means in the beginning was the verb. You know, in, in John chapter 1, you know, in Spanish it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. All things that were created were created through, and nothing was made that was made. See, I didn't know any of these things, any of these memorizations that I had memorized afterwards. But when I started reading them, they started to literally come alive. Uh, I started to understand that God so loved the world that he gave his life, and the way he gave it, he moved into action. He sent the verb in motion, you yeah. know, which was literally the word of God, to save me, the scriptures, like the Our Father, uh, who art in heaven, you know, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Like an ignorant baboon, I was just saying that. But there's power behind those words, especially to someone who doesn't believe. And that sounds kind of like an oxymoron. You don't believe, but yet you you say that, you know? Yeah. That's but any any story that I hear, any story that's told now, you there's there's like a direct reflection of of the gospel. Yes. I mean, through a tribulation. Say, say you could tell a story about making a fire, teaching somebody how to make a fire. That's a that's a direct <laughs> reflection of, of of the gospel. I mean, it can be not that it it becomes it, like uh, um, like something existential, mm -hmm. uh, or with an experience, and, and it's far from that because see, existentialism is philosophy, and the word of God is not philosophy. It's, you know, I, I, for lack of a better way of saying it, you know, it's the Word of God. What is it? It's uh, uh, a story, a, a propositional story and that to save you and in such desperation that we don't even know that we're in that throes of death and literally throwing your hands into death uh, by your own hand. The woman who was um, caught in the act of adultery uh, you know, is confronted by Christ. He says, you know, woman, where are your accusers? But prior to that, they bring her and they say, Rabbi, we found this woman in the act of adultery. You know, what saith you, you know, the law of Moses says we're supposed to stone her, you know, paraphrasing. Yeah. And then he says, you know, the infamous, you know, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. <laughs> and you hear the stones drop, boom, 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 boom. And then they and then he Started drew a line the in the sand. Too, and then to the youngest, which yeah. somebody brought to my attention recently, yeah. that that in that has something within it. There's something in it too. That you know, like the older people, you should know better. And then the, the young, you know, they follow suit, you know, but the older ones are going to be held in too much is given. Well, they're, 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 but they're wiser and that they oh. were the first to leave. And then the, and they, then the young were, were to leave. Yeah. And it's just like a, I don't know. No, you're right. There, there's something in everything. It, I mean, nothing is there by coincidence. Nothing is there by hap stance that the writer decides to put that in there. 
I mean, it's literally divine, you know, yeah. that this the inspiration is totally divine. It's not uh, dictated. Have you heard of Jordan words. Peterson? Peterson, the, yeah. the writer of the of the new Bible. No, uh, he's he's a, he's like a new found philosopher that is absolutely he's just partially kind of why I, I started on this on this journey to seek truth is because I see so many um, young people who are like he's got like two point nine million subscribers, right? And from what I looked at the other day on his views is that he's got something like. What do we say? What was it like? Like two hundred, four hundred thousand plays every single day or something on each one of his videos? Yeah, it was like it was over a thousand uh, a day. Yeah, uh, way more than yeah. that, man. Like oh yeah, we were we were looking at several, but yeah, Peterson was. Well, Crowder was yeah. something like one point three million a day, and then and then four hundred thousand. Anyway, his yeah. videos are on a philosophy. The the first the first uh, playlist that he has is the phil- philosophy. Um, well, the 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 beginning. Um, basically, it's it's a it's a his biblical series um, on Genesis and Exodus. I think that's as far as he goes, but he approaches it on a philosophical standpoint. And these these like objective, and, well, well, no, well, philosophical I mean, would be like uh, his way or uh, like Plato's way or uh, Socrates or you know in that sense you're saying well so that yeah so like it's he's like he's ex- he's explaining it in his um it's it's interesting because he he, he pr- practically admits on every time he speaks on it is that you know like he's when he speaks he's trying to figure it out himself like it's not necessarily like that he's teaching these mm-hmm. people dialoguing and, yeah and there's kinda... no dialogue that goes on but within himself yeah. on this stage. Okay. And so he'll speak, and I, I think he spoke for like three and a half hours, um, even before he even got to the first verse of Genesis, just speaking for three and a half hours. And then mm-hmm. finally, in the next one, he starts and, and hits like a couple verses and speaks on it for like two and a half hours. And um, it's not necessarily, like I said, he, he's not necessarily... Yeah, teaching, but yeah. he's he's kind of just like picking it apart and looking at it like a philosophy, kind of expounding on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which I find it <clears throat> commentating very, and expounding on. It. Yeah, and I find it very, very like um, <clears throat> drawn to it. I'm drawn to it. Yeah, definitely, um, mm-hmm. because it gives me like uh, perspective. Sure. Um, yeah. Well, there's well, not many videos on the internet that that give perspective of Genesis. No, no. Because um, nobody mm-hmm. nobody thought even anybody wanted to hear that, right? <laughs> You know, Genesis, the begin, new beginnings, you know, uh, to stay on point, um, as far as, you know, interpreting a meaning, like you're saying, of, of something in the Bible, like 316, you know, how, you know it, it just, to the average reader, it's just words on a page. Yeah. But to someone who's gone through some sort of trial and tribulation, it's like literally going through the desert and cool water touching your lips. Now, and, and back with that point, when I got in the truck, and inside the truck had to have been almost 200 degrees, all black interior, and I had turned the engine off. I, the, the problem was is that the batteries had drained themselves because the alternator was not working. But in those days, 1986, a diesel truck didn't run off of the computer. It, you know, the, the diesel truck could just run by itself. Yeah, didn't need electrical to run it, and so I, I had turned when I was loading the stuff up, 
I was in my right sort of right conscience mind to not turn it off because I knew if I turned it off that <clears throat> I couldn't start it back again. So uh, now the engine was dead. So I ca came out of the truck like a, letting a bear out of a cave. And I was angry and I, you know, here a miracle happened. These guys helped me and I, I, and here I was back to cursing God again. Like, what is going on here, you know? Um, and I looked around and there was nobody. It was like a complete ghost town. All you could see was the wind blowing the dust and everybody had left the job site and went to lunch. <clears throat> and there's a down a ways in the rising thermals of the ground, I see this pettibone coming down a dirt road. Pettibone is a large forklift that can put material up on the roof. And so I'm waving at the guy, I'm trying to flag him down, and he uh, doesn't see me because he's got a head, set of headphones on that I think he was listening to music, but the, the forks are so loud and that engine is so loud as it's going to the road, it's bouncing around. And so normally they would wear a set of headphones. Well, <clears throat> uh, he had his forks up high, so he couldn't really see, and he just kind of gauged it where he was going. And uh, normally you, when you drive, you have your forks about that high off the ground for safety purposes. You know, you don't have them that high, you know, but he evidently was a young driver. And so he's, I guess he was coming to help unload the truck, but it was already unloaded or something. But anyway, I've tried to flag him down, see if I could, you know, get his batteries and stuff or get a jump start. And then in my mind, uh, the, you could say the devil came in and said, well, here's the plan. We'll get that guy to stop. And when he stops, he'll come around. And at that time, you just give him a good up, uppercut and lay him out take the batteries and put them on the truck, fire it up, whatever, and get home. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking of reasoning with this poor guy, you know. And, <clears throat> but then uh, when I when I was waving at him like this, it just felt, you know, like someone said to me, just hell with it. You know, you, you're going to go back, your wife's going to be dead. There's no such thing as, you don't have luck. You know, that's that's in <clears throat> in the movies, you know, this is real life. So I I, the, I went like this to wipe the sweat out of my eyes because my eyes were burning so bad from the dust and the sweat. And then I just went like this. And then it just got the idea to just keep my arms like that. And then I looked straight ahead and I, I was watching the, the, the forklift come my way and the forks were up high. <laughs> no coincidence. So I just tried to get one fork to aim at me. So just to get get it get it over with, you know. <clears throat> and so I kicked my, I saw him coming, and so I kicked my head back like that and looked up like this, and I started imagining myself as if there was a God I wanted to see. And this was the way I was going to see. And uh, all of a sudden, I hear the brakes come on, and uh, the guy is yelling and screaming at me, and uh, and you could hear the tires just trying to grab the road, and it finally came to a stop. When it came to a stop, uh he, his forks just touched my chest and pushed me back, one of the forks. You know, it had a little sting, but it pushed me back and then opened my eyes and there's this long 10-foot fork, you know. Uh, and he's screaming and yelling, gets out of the thing, are you crazy, what are you doing getting this piece of equipment? And I looked at him and then he just dropped his headphones and took off running, left the micro brake on, on the, on the forklift, and I left the engine run, I opened up the panels and the batteries were too small. So <clears throat> at that time, I just said, heck with it. And I looked out into the field and it was hill after hill after hill. And I just started walking in the hot desert and I had no water to drink, hadn't had anything to eat. And so I just started walking. 
and uh, <clears throat> hours had to have gone by, an hour, hour or two. And finally I sat on top of a hill, and because I couldn't see, this was Lancaster before it was, you know, a big booming city now. It was just a rural nothing out there, and it became all of a sudden a hit in the, in the 80s where they just started mass building. I don't, you know, to this day I don't know why they built out there. Nothing but wind and dust, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but people like the hot, you know. So anyway, um, I went over one hill after another, after another, after another. I didn't even count them. And finally, I'm on top of one hill. And I sat there, and I looked down, and I just saw, you know, your typical sagebrush and tumbleweed and what have you. And uh, and I just sat there, and I hadn't had anything to drink, and I was just kind of dazing off because, like, lights are just no energy you know, getting ready to go out on me. And uh, I imagine someone was talking to me, sitting next to me, and like it was my best friend, just having a conversation with me. And uh, and then I heard him say, uh, so you're sure there's nothing out here? And I says, nothing. There's jackrabbit, there's cactus, there's this, and then there's a building. <laughs> and, and then when I turned around and looked, that person was gone. So it was, I didn't, it didn't dawn on me that it could have been the devil or it didn't dawn on me it could have been Christ. But I looked down there and now there was a building down there. The building was a, a construction building. <clears throat> uh, the kind that contractors used is. So I made my way down there and I heard yelling and screaming going on inside. And so I opened the door and there were, literally 12 angry men came out of there. I counted them because I thought to myself, I'm going to go in there, borrow the phone, give me a hard time, I'm going to, I'm going to mess these guys up in there, you know. And uh, so when I opened the door, they all just came running out and they jumped into their pickup trucks and they drove off. And I, while I was holding the door and uh, and I said, hey, can I use your phone? Hey, do you got any water? <laughs> and they, they didn't hear because they were so mad. They were hitting themselves over with the blueprints and they just took off. So I go in there and I, uh, there's a pay phone right there. So I take out my last times you know i made the call and I called walter and i explained him what was going on that the truck had shut down he's yelling at me and screaming at me and saying hey where are you you know we've been looking for you you know where's the load where's the truck you know it's a brand new truck and on i mean like he didn't want any answers you know he's just yelling at me mm -hmm. and i said walter walter the truck is fine drop the load off how the hell could he drop the load off if you didn't have the right location i said i found the guy who showed me oh they hijacked the truck you're in with it and he was just an idiot, but he was the son of a of the of the owner, actual owner of like manufacturing. Who does he remind <clears throat> you of in the Bible? Uh, crazy man. I mean, like I mean. I mean, like it seems like a lot of your testimony. It's it's a it's a. Oh, I never thought about that. You remember it so clearly because you. Yeah. You when you read the Bible, you read your testimony as well. Yeah. <clears throat> right. Well, so a, Walter was just a. Uh, um, a rich man, a rich son, is what he was. Yeah. A son who had everything, who didn't have to work for anything. His reality, <clears throat> his son, the reason why it was a subsidiary of like manufacturing, because his dad wanted him to get a feel of running seven large door companies. That like manufacturing was seven of these major door companies. One of the, I'm not sure. I think the largest, if not the, the largest, manufacturers of doors. And they started this... Door Jam, a subsidiary of that, and his son got to run it. And his son was just a, all he wanted to do was 
play chess and smoke pot and, uh, and mess around with his wife. <laughs> he was quite a character, but he was my friend. And, you know, we tolerated each other. You know, he, uh, he tolerated me. He'd yell on the, on the intercom and say, hey, move, you know, make your move, you know, make, move your pawn. Come on, you know, I haven't got all day. And he'd be sitting in his office playing chess while I'm driving a semi on this magnet board, <laughs> moving my chess pieces and just appease him. You know, everything was entertainment for him, you know. <laughs> you tell me that they had, like, Wi-Fi chess? Uh, magnetic. Yeah, on the radio, you know, you call you, you know, Called me and say, hey, you know, my <laughs> my, my uh, pawn's king to your queen's uh, pawn, you know, and you know, and, yeah, and to D two or yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. A, and yeah. I, at that time, I had a good memory, and now I I don't I haven't played that game. I hated that game after I played him. <laughs> he always won. <laughs> and uh, you know, I would do it just like I said to appease him. And, and he was a friend. At one time, um, some guy came out. Uh, this one Mexican fellow came out and uh, with a box, and he dropped the box, and he had all of these uh, like pen holders and that paper where you can write notes and stuff, and then it had uh, enter code door, and they would give these to customers, right? Yeah. And the janitor was stealing them, and he dropped <laughs> and he dropped the box loader, and I and I went over there, and I it was my friend too, and I said, you know, you're you're pushing to get a, a you you want to get a. a they were trying to push for a union, and they wanted me to be the speaker because I spoke good English to talk to some union people. And I said, listen, you're, you're wanting to do a good thing, and yet you go do something like this. And then he says, well, you know, uh, uh, you, know you know what? I'm sorry. You know, here, here. And he gives me the box, and he takes off. So I took the box, and I put it underneath my pickup truck, underneath the seat, and I meant to give it, to take it back. And one day, Walter calls me, and he says, hey, George, I need your truck. So what do you mean you need my truck? Your pickup truck up. You know, I got a party going on. I need to go pick up some kegs of beer. And uh, so I went over there. We went and picked up some kegs of beer. And he's just looking around like this, looking at the cars, just like a little kid there. And all of a sudden he goes like this, <laughs> looks under the chair of my truck. And he says, what is this? And he pulls out the box. It says Anderco, opens it up. It's got all this <clears throat> stuff that you give customers and stuff and he looks at me and he says really <laughs> i said it's not what you think put that box back you never saw it it was really you're stealing the you know how much we pay for these things <laughs> i said walter let's not get into it you know and he says well where how did you get them you know and i said listen i took them off of somebody who was stealing them i want his name right now i said no fire me then no i'll call the cops on you <laughs> and we're arguing this whole time that we get to the party finally we get to his party, his birthday party, and he says, we're going to talk about this afterwards. And he got so bombed, he forgot about it even the next day to even talk about it. I took those things, and I put them back where they, where they belong, you know, uh, two days later. <clears throat> and uh, and then he, he did bring it up one time. He says, uh, hey, blank, blank, you know, what about that stuff you stole? I said, what stuff? And he goes, you know what I'm talking? I said, I, you were so bombed that day because he was smoking pot all day long. And then drinking us. You don't know what you. I don't know what you're talking about, Walter. And this is the kind of character he was. Did you smoke pot? No, never. Don't lie to me. No, I'm serious. No, you never smoked pot. I've never life. smoked pot. I can't be around it. I can't be around the smell of it. Yeah. It it, the smell of it just I can't stand the did smell. You, did you smoke cigarettes? Cigarettes, yeah. Smoked uh, Viceroy's. <clears throat> yeah. Salem's real strong stuff, but never pot. 
couldn't handle it. It was too much of a whip. <laughs> Do you still smoke cigars? Cigars, yeah. I, I, in that same place, though, uh, one of the drivers gave me a little tiny pill. Speed. Ooh. I just about went insane. Yeah. It because we were you know I was working a double shift. Sure. And he says, hey, you know, take some of this stuff. I said, what is it? I, I, he said, speed. It's good. It's good for you. I said, no, no, I don't do any stuff like that. No, no, you, you're gonna last. You need this. Try it. He said, just try a little bit of it. <clears throat> so he gave me one tiny little pill. That was the last one I ever had because I couldn't come down off this hyperness. Thought my my heart was gonna come out of my chest. You know. It, but you were just, focused, right? You're... No, I really wasn't because I was just, I could hear my heart beating. Yeah. I was one of those kind of people that didn't need something to be high. I was high all the time on life, <laughs> trying to keep up with it. Yeah. You know, so I drank beer. I, I never drank the hard stuff, but. Tequila? Uh, never. You're yeah. Mexican. I know. Well, you know, it doesn't mean you just, you know. What are you doing with your life? Yeah, we need uh, we need some boring. tequila and we need some cigars, David. Stat. Cigars I could do, you know, but not, not, not tequila. Tequila is horrible stuff, man. It yeah. Smells bad. Before, <clears throat> before, that's on my bucket list to smoke. A even cigar even like and just have one shot of tequila with uh, you. Whiskey, I just the smell of it, you know. I just I don't know how people can drink that stuff. You know, but it's you know like scotch. Any of that stuff, it's just. Too strong. I got a buddy who's real avid. He's real avid when it comes to, I don't even know if that's the word, right word, but scotch. Everything, you know, everything is extreme. I can say I tried just, you know, like even vodka, extreme. It's just so strong. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, uh, I don't, tequila, I, maybe in a, in a, what do you call it, mixed drink. Yeah. Even that, because I can taste the alcohol mm -hmm. and I don't like that flavor you know i can't taste it in beer but i can taste it in uh, a strong drink so that's why i don't like strong drinks. so when you say do i i've i've tried it but i've never i'm not a drinker you know what i'm saying i just not something that i do <clears throat> not because i'm holier than that i just not what i like was not my cup of tea i was introduced to beer at a very very young age so maybe that's why but my first swig of beer it burned my mouth so bad that you know then it was interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think the first beer I had was warm. So yeah, mine was. I didn't like it. Coors exactly. beer. Yeah, it was cold, and it had a stinging taste. But it, you know, it, it was kind of a neat feeling. You remember the first time you had a beer? Yeah. See, I'm I, trying to remember the first time I had a beer. I was 13 years old. Worked for a A1 Reynolds. And we'd get done loading the trucks and the, I mean putting away the equipment and the contractors would bring us bring us back beer and we'd put it in the back, you know. And, and when the when we had a break, the boss would let us go back there, dig a hole in the ground, you know, with a with a back hole. Mm -hmm. We'd be drinking beers and and then because then we throw all oil in there, <laughs> trash and oil. <laughs> Those <laughs> days there was no EPA, or uh, you know you just. My, my, that's they still do that to this day. Whenever it comes to, uh, well, I, I'm sure that they still throw trash and stuff down there. Yeah. But like pieces, extra pieces that we have while we're laying, um, laying, laying the pipe for plumbing, outdoor. Because right. I, I used to do plumbing, and uh, and so we hook them up, and then we'd have extra parts or just pieces, the P, extra PVC, 
and we would toss those in. Don't ever remember us <laughs> digging a hole to throw beers Well, don't in. say no names of no companies. Yeah. <laughs> I said one, but, you know, um, those guys were great. It was, uh, it was a beautiful company I worked for. I learned to drive a semi, learned to be an, a shop owner, learned to be a mechanic there. That was uh, an incredible place. Another story for another time. But anyway, uh, I get down there. I, when I come inside, I make the phone call. After the phone call, I look at God and I scream at God again. I say, is it too much to ask for a glass of water? And I have my, I'm like this on the phone and I look like that. It's a bottle of sparkling water. I, I mean, I guess I was delirious. I didn't see the bottle of water. I saw the phone. So I drank as much as I could, and the air conditioning was just blowing on me. So you can say that now I was, you know, from the Lord sitting next to me, in a sense, he surrounded me. Does that make sense? Yes. And again, I don't want to sound Gnostic, because it's not a Gnostical experience. It's not that. You know, like uh, when I look back and I saw the footprints and I realized it was only one set and you were carrying me. It's not like that at all. It wasn't like that at all. This was, I can't say it's the real deal on film because somebody else has a different interpretation of what the real deal is of having a Christ experience. But through, through the miracle that I'm in the desert, from the desert into this cool place, you know, and there's scriptures there that talk about that, about, you know, uh, God being, Jesus being the rock, the rock of salvation. And, you know, when the rock was struck, cool water came out of it to drink, you know. Moses in the desert. In yeah, the Moses. desert. Exactly. <clears throat> and, other, oh, give me some more, because I, I know you have a lot more water Likeness, peshats. <laughs> well, like I said, whenever you're reading, whenever you're reading the Bible, like, it takes you back yeah. to this time. Um it does. It's it's like uh, if I never knew the if I never heard the Bible, you can truly say that there is no man in America. I'm gonna just use America that has never heard. That can't say he's never heard the Bible. Yeah. And even those who are ethically, morally correct. Yeah cannot say that they've never heard scripture and if they went by their ethical, moral lives, they're basically going by their conscience. Sure. Okay, God will judge that. <clears throat> okay. And in wanting to see his face and to do right, he will show himself to you. Now, he's not going to come out and hang out with you all day long. <clears throat> it's going to be more like a page of the Bible floats down and you get it. And Hey, this is very profound what it's saying. I've never heard anything like this. You know, though some he will use what he what's already here to make himself known to you, not something totally off the wall. <clears throat> you know, like put a hand through and shake your hand or something like that. No, he'll use what's here to make himself known to you. And in this case, through my through the trauma, through the through the being poor, uh, wanting answers and being anxious, and in calling God even in that profound behavior that I was using, you know, <clears throat> he answered me. He so that you can hear then the words, for he so loved the world. He for, for and you can hear something more personal in that words. He for for he so loved me that he moved into action and sent Christ to save me. And that's kind of when you stop to look at that and you open your eyes and open your heart to that. You're not opening your heart and your eyes to some sort of a <clears throat> uh, 
again, existential self-experience, uh, epiphany or whatever, you know, that, you know, sciences and psychology and philosophy want to use to describe an experience with God. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> this is uh, meeting you where you're at if you're really looking for him. And I think he saw something in my heart that there was a true genuineness that I wanted to know who he was. And so after I, after I had my arm on that <clears throat> bottle of water, I didn't even thank God for yeah. that bottle of sparkless water. And as I lay, lay on the floor on that cool floor with the air conditioning hit me, I was pouring this water. All of a sudden I hear this truck pull up. And he pulls his air brakes, you know, he pulls, there's a button you pull and it locks your brakes. And you, and you hear this, you know, and, and, I, and I got up and I looked out the window and it was another Freightliner identical to mine. <clears throat> Same year, 86. And, but he had a water tank in the back of his truck. <clears throat> so guess, guess what? I mean, you asked for water, you got water. I just had to wait a little longer and I would have got a, a big old tanker. Did you recognize this? <clears throat> At the time, no. Yeah. No, when I like I said, when I I started to tell the testimony to somebody, it came to me that that water, I here I saw the immediate water. Yeah. In telling the story, and then another time that I told it, then I then I realized that more water was sent. <clears throat> so this the symbol of of water would be Yeshua, would be Christ. Yeah. Okay, he, he's, you know, Psalms 1 also says that the man is blessed who sits next to a river of waters. He shall be as a tree planted in a river of waters, and day and night uh, he, will, uh, he will meditate on his word, you know. So, let's see, how's it go? Uh, um, blessed is man who walketh not the counsel of the ungodly and stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but is delight in the law of the Lord. And day and night does he meditate, he shall be as a tree planted in the river of waters. So as that tree is refreshing itself with God's word, uh, it's more than just, like I said, uh, a made-up experience. It's, it, it starts, you start to kind of be in his word, and it makes more sense because he wrote <clears throat> this for something he created. He has the blueprint of you. And so he sends, like, you know, I'm a mechanic, he sends the manual how to fix this broken down person. <laughs> Maybe yeah. it's the best way I can put it. You know, before I get on the car, I got to identify myself with the manual. Okay, well, he sent the manual how to fix myself by reading. And it's in a language that is not a verbal language like we speak in one sense. It's a, 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 um, a discernment, I guess is what you call it. Did you know by faith that this is not by coincidence, that there are no coincidences, but these things are actually happening because God wants them to happen to you. Do you think by <clears throat> some? Do you think that in in some ways that with some individuals, there's some people are live, learn visually, some people learn auditorily, some people learn by reading it. Um, that it is almost. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to say this in a not like a non-sacrilegious -sac way, but. Hey, in, 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 in sharing and talking to somebody without them reading the Bible and sharing them um, uh, whether it be scripture or whether it be parables of your life are they able to meet Jesus in that way? I would say no and I say that fast because what I think about 
the Buddha experience and his experience with life. <clears throat> Here's a rich man who goes to a impoverished life. And some have, have said that his Buddha and Christ are very much alike, you know, in their experiences, okay? Or and, the and I, pyramids and the, the who, Osiris. This, the story of the Egyptians is pretty similar to the Bible as well. Um, that's another deal. But in, in this one here where um, <clears throat> the experience of what Buddha is experiencing yeah. through his nirvana experience, you know, uh, in another state to find peace, to find what are the, the seven uh, factors of life, I guess, something like that, or six wonders or whatever they are like that, and that bring happiness and then, then you know, reincarnation. You know, I, I, I vaguely remember some of that stuff, but when I think about Christ and the experiences that I went through, they're nothing like that because Satan can also give you a delusion through, uh, you know, no, nobody ever says whether Buddha sat there on the tree and smoked some weed or something and had his own view of life after that, you know, because many, many of these things that they, that they do, like even Indians with peyote and stuff like that, they're gate, the, the word gate drugs literally are that, they're, they're but they're gate, where <clears throat> uh, they're open to your mind. And they give you these hallucinants, you know. Christ is not like that. Because he, it, I would say the reason being because his spirit is clean. And he doesn't leave you like with a residue or with a guilt or with something, you know. If you did pot or something like that, you feel guilty. Uh, maybe, you know, or you, that was wrong to do. But Buddha, whatever he experienced, I think that there's a lot of lost people looking for answers to life. <clears throat> and when they hear something that's mystical and something that sounds spiritual, they can connect because part of you is spirit. You know, we're uh, kind of a duplicity of flesh and spirit, you know, but we're really a, a triune, more like our Creator, you know, where we're body, mind, and spirit, you know, uh, and that's probably the, so we're not really a duplicity, but we're more of a, a, tri, a tri a reality of, of our creator and it's again it's not by happenstance it's the way he designed it to be and so <clears throat> our experience kind of logically too with the, the the triune and a lot of um, equations you have three I mean that number th that that the number uh, it goes back to Ecclesiastes one is great two is better three is three four chord is not easily broke. Yeah. Yes. So so you have your father, son, or and father, mother, and son. Or or you have you have a, um, a coach, a quarterback, and a receiver. Or you have mm. a um, <clears throat> you have middle, upper, lower. You have um, left, right, center. Yeah, and see that would be more of a gnostic kind of approach to reality, <clears throat> whereas in this sense, um, coincidentally, you know, ice, gas, and water <clears throat> seems to be, but here God created these things. As, so in their in their own right, for instance, the family, the father, the mother, and the son, maybe thinking that the, the mother's the weaker vessel and the son is, you know, just the son, but he has a different perspective of that 
more like the son is the fruit. The, the offspring is the fruit. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then the womb uh, is his reward. You know, so if I, if I think of it in terms of what Scripture says, as, for instance, Psalms 127, the fruit of the womb is his reward, as arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior, so are the children of his youth. You shall not be ashamed when they meet the enemy at the gate. Arrows, <clears throat> you know, it, it's no coincidence that when he says arrows, that the, the seed of a man in a microscope looks like arrows. You know, squiggly with the, the head part is large and then it's got the tail part. I mean, you've straightened it out. It looks like an arrow. <coughs> so, about semen? Yeah. So I'm talking about semen. Yeah. Well, seed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was okay. The vernacular is semen. <laughs> so I was just trying not to you know, use a, a, a euphemism for uh, the semen. <laughs> but, you know, but because scripture says, as arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior, you know. Also, the, the quiver would be the part that you would procreate with to go in to the female, you know, and then there's seeds in there. Is that coincidence? But so he has, like I said, it's the Spirit of God is clean with no uh, um, perversion in it or impurities, you know. It says that what comes from God from heaven is first merciful and peaceful, you know, and it's without constraint. There's no bars whole. Mm-hmm. So when, when you've had an experience with God, the difference will be in the end, whether you really had one. Because if you, it, it says, beloved, if you if if you uh, have a doubt about something that is spirit, try it to see if it be of God. Okay, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirit to see if it be of God. It's First uh, John chapter four verse one. <clears throat> so when, the the way you start to equip yourself is with the Word of God, to be able to determine what is real and what is not real. What is uh, hallucination or what is uh, uh, gnostical or mystical and so it divides that it separates that truth that that isn't truth because that gnosticism that higher nearly knowing is satan in one sense where uh, he wants to give you that knowledge to basically sell your soul for the knowledge i'm going to give you so you could be that rock star so yeah. you could be that mathematician so you could do this, so you could do that, okay? Uh, and so they sell their souls to fame and fortune. Now, these are stories, but they're, they have some basis of truth, where in the end, they die miserable deaths. They're the richest guy with no family around him, the richest guy doesn't even go, know God. And the Bible says in 30th chapter, it says, Oh God, don't make me so rich that I don't know who you are. And don't make me so poor that I hate you. <clears throat> so ours is the middle ground, like where we're at now. Mm-hmm. So... There's there's a, a judgment in, in I mean there's there's not happiness in rich in being rich in the gains of the world. So the the gains that God talks about are those which are in heaven, where moth and rust does not corrupt, but on earth where moth and rust does corrupt. James also talks into that. And he says, "How you rich man, for your riches have become uh, the like cankerous to you, like you're rusting." And you think about that. Wait a minute. <clears throat> Literally, you are rusting with all the possessions you have. Sometimes I, I go out there and I got so much junk. And I said, what if I have to sell this house with you? What do I do with all this junk? It just weighs on you to have so much stuff sometimes. Because then you got to take care of the house. you got to take care of this. you got to maintain that. Maintain this. The walls, the roof, the pipe, the this, the that. And you make yourself crazy, you know, having so many riches, you know. Mm-hmm. So to the rich man, <clears throat> he's literally eating himself up, like I guess you could say, with uh, ulcers, 
<laughs> having so many riches for moth and rust does corrupt and you become like that object that's going to stay on the earth yeah so better to put your treasures on things that are above than things that are below so it's basically two-dimensional in that respect you know uh so back to the story when i after i drank the water saw the truck evil struck my mind again to <clears throat> this guy has my truck because it's the same year Freightliner, 1986, and I'm going to take that truck, or I'm going to take those batteries. So evil came into my heart again. <clears throat> Here I was just, God is showing me, he's helping me, but I didn't, I didn't have the, the, how do you say, the, <clears throat> the foundation to know what I was looking at, to know that I was being blessed, you know? Do you think that foundation was the Bible, or do you think the foundation Parents was... is really important. To have that foundation. Uh, yeah, Bible is important, but when you're an Aborigine, like I was, you know, you could look at the book like a monkey, read it upside down and not know what you're looking at. I guess what I'm wondering is if, if you had a revelation in that moment that snapped you out of it, or whether it was a scripture that, like, struck you into place, or <clears throat> the moment where it was. At that moment, you know, because your mind is so uh, new to the things of God mm -hmm. that you make up, you make, you trip all over yourself. You don't, you know, you, you're, you're in and out of emotions. You're in and out of yourself. You're beside yourself one day. And you're still kind of that way too when you, when you become born again. But it's, it's, it's the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And that's what we're trying to achieve is self-control. Gentleness, kindness, meekness, long-suffering, and forbearance. 522 of Galatians <clears throat> tells us that these are the fruits of the Spirit and, and having that self-control to uh, not be hyper on one thing too high and too low, too angry, too sad, you know, and we still, but it, it's not that you're ever going to get rid of one particular sin sometimes. It's still there, but how you how it does is the fear of letting your father down, the fear of, or that feeling of starting again, I did it again, you know, and that ugly feeling. It's a conscience. It works together now with your conscience, and it heals you. God sees that you're, you're really working on that. But the enemy will come back and throw it in front of you again so and say, you, remember this? <clears throat> do, do you believe that your flesh and spirit become one when you believe? When you believe, uh, it, the flesh is evolving. You know, you, you, even the state of being a Christian is an evolution thing into perfection. Versus uh, when you're not born again, you're evolving backwards into Yanderthal. If, uh, if I might use that as an analogy, you're going backwards. If you never find Christ, you're going backwards and becoming kind of an ape, is what I can say, you know, like a wild man. Whereas... When you become born again, you're striving through tribulations. And sometimes you get in trouble and it's not even your fault. You just yeah. breathe and you got in trouble. Somebody don't like the way you breathe, you know, because there's an enemy inside that person that senses the pureness of crisis now in your heart. And it says, you know, that let the light so shine that others can see your, the works, your works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And another verse that says, you know, that, uh, that Christ dwells in you, the Spirit. The Spirit dwells in you. Uh, and people who fight against God allow a demon to come in there and torment them. <clears throat> a demon that hates you, and you just met the person, but there's a, 
already of uh, something that that person doesn't like about you. <clears throat> well, it's because they've allowed hatred or bitterness to just overcome them, and but they that spirit can sense it that your spirit is not is that there's Christ in you, and so you can be you know uh, a bad guy you know for lack of pick on one subject that what makes a bad guy a robber of this guy that guy but but once he's changed the insight part has changed and that's why his friends don't want to hang out with him anymore because he doesn't have the same spirit there's a clean spirit now in him yeah. renew in me a right spirit and renew in me uh, uh, how's that song go well it's, it's a psalm uh, renew in me a, a righteous spirit a clean spirit that's, that's God that's Jesus he's decent he's clean he doesn't leave you. <clears throat> Even if the worst sin you did, a peace comes over you. I don't know what the worst sin is. You know, they're all the same. Sin is sin. Blasphemy. But uh, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, yes. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit um, is uh, a lot of theologians trip on that. They and they always want to refer to David. You know, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is rejecting. Uh, uh, what Christ has done to finish work on the cross for you. Okay, rejecting that and adding more to that, thinking you've got to do more <clears throat> than what he did on the cross. Yeah. Thinking that you got to beat your body in submission with a real whip. Por mi culpa, por mi culpa, por mi maxima culpa. See, that's all. What's that? that? That's the Catholic. Uh, for my sins, for my sin, for my faults, for my fault, for my maximum faults. This is what we used to say when we were in the Latin Mass, you know, and we would say, por mi culpa, por mi culpa, por mi maxima culpa. Okay, you get a little whip they would sell you, you know, and uh, and you could literally beat yourself, but then they started selling them out of felt. So it's a nice, <laughs> a nice thing, you know. <clears throat> but because Paul said, I beat my body in submission, they take this literally. Well, don't you think that uh, Peter also committed blasphemy? When he... <clears throat> no, Peter... Uh, uh, if he'd have stayed in that state, but his conscience was overtaking him. See, yeah. God put the conscience in a man in the ninth chapter, you know. He so allowed it's the, blasphemy within your spirit, not with your yes, flesh. <clears throat> within your spirit, correct. Where, you know, you can even commit the same thing over and over again. In the end, God will determine whether, you know, because some people will commit suicide. Because sure. they, can't, they can't stop this sin that they're doing. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Does that mean that, you, you know, the... the the Catholic theology says that if you do that to yourself, even the Protestant theology, that that's an unforgivable sin. Yeah. That to to kill yourself, I don't think so. I think that this the organic part of the mind can be so uh, lacking something, you know, like a, a chemical <clears throat> gets so imbalanced that it causes a depression. You know, they, I don't know if serotonin is really a real deal, you know, but. Uh, that's it's that's one way I, I think more of expressing what it is for um, uh, a placebo <laughs> that it really exists yeah. depression but the and the Bible says that guard your heart with all diligence for out of it are the flow of the issues of life your 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 life your heart uh, you get involved in so many things you got to learn to turn your eyes when you see something and and the devil will flee from you because he'll try to tempt you there. And uh, or <clears throat> resistant, and he will turn. He he will leave you, okay. And there's truth to that. Uh, 
and but God, and there's some people that they just can't resist that, and they keep going back in and back and back in. It becomes a thorn, but God sees the heart. He sees the conscience. He sees the the how the person feels dirty after doing what he's doing over and over and over again. And there have been people that have committed suicide for things that they what they call uh, uh, obsessive behaviors. <clears throat> Do you think you it's know? because we're so far from the garden? What's that? Disease and depression and well yes i mean um, uh some ends not that some men's sins are greater but some people are organically more disturbed than others you know and satan will use that to oppress you and through a suppression uh that can happen <clears throat> you could be suppressed by somebody dying and you can't get over it and then that person goes and commits suicide too you know but uh if they've given their heart to jesus i don't believe that they they i'm not saying I'm encouraging you to go kill yourself. You know, you're going to go to We're Jesus We're not encouraging anyway. you to... <clears throat> yeah. We're not endorsing suicide here. But no. if the last... I guess what you're getting at, what I'm hearing, is that if the, the last... the last Somebody asked me once, you know, if, if, you know, if you're lying on your deathbed and you look at the nurse come in and you think a sexual thought about her and then beep, you die, are you going to hell or are you going to heaven? <laughs> So I guess what you're speaking. Well, the into flesh is, is probably going to hell, but you're going to heaven. <laughs> is if, if if the uh, if the last sin you commit, will you will you go to heaven? Or Paul, last, well, last I'll answer you. this way because see that that's too uh, black and white to answer. It has to be done in this way. Paul said that he struggled too with the flesh. Yeah. Okay, and I think if we're safer now that we have the scripture, now that we have Jesus to lean on. Now that we have a Savior who has experienced all the things that we've experienced and who can pray for us, that gives me peace <clears throat> knowing that. Okay, and then so if a thought does come like that, honestly, if you're really given to Christ uh, a thought like that, you just put it out. Because, again, that fear of you know, when you've been in the presence, you know, when you see that God has done something for you, your conscience just overwhelms you, okay? And John says you can't sin, and it's the conscience that allows you that not to sin. So the answer would be no, you wouldn't, you wouldn't go to hell. Because if unless the conscience was, you didn't have a conscience, then basically you are, are reprobated. You're, you're, you're just like... Um, given over to sin. And again, this is a very hard topic of whether you can lose your salvation or not. I'm of the opinion there's enough in Scripture to show that you can because it's, it tells you to overcome. It tells you to maintain your robes of salvation. Adam and Eve lost their robes of salvation. Okay, uh, Mark lost his uh, <clears throat> towel or his blanket or his robe when he fleed, you know, when he ran off into the darkness, and it's it's a picture of how we can lose our position with God, but there's you can renew it again. Yeah, you can ask for pardon. You can go to your room and pray and ask, Lord, forgive me for this. You can go to the person and say, Forgive me, not no, oh, it's your fault, no, but literally, forgive me for what I did. The person that killed somebody and tells the mother, I'm very sorry for what I did. Please forgive me. You know, and even though she doesn't, but in your heart, you're sincere that you did. God will forgive you. You will go to heaven. I know it doesn't settle well with the person uh, who lost that person, 
Okay, but <clears throat> God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever. It's not a Calvinist thing where it's a double predestination. Some are going to go to hell and some are going to go to heaven. God has reason that some will go and some won't. In this day and age, it's up to us to bring the gospel to the Muslim, to the Buddhist, to all of those, to, the, to, those, to Judaism. Okay, it's our job as seeing and understanding now to bring that to them. So did God predestine them today? No. To die? No. He did not. Your, our job is to preach the gospel. And when you're, are you to preach it, say, for thus saith the Lord God to someone like that? No, forbearance, gentleness, kindness, meekness, long-suffering. You're forbearing that person for 10 years before you can say, God says, <clears throat> you know, and see what I'm saying? The love of Christ is the evident that you're a Christian. Okay, and the love that you have for the lost, not for yourself. You mourn yourself, yes, but uh, blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, yeah. uh, but the ones that are lost, you 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 have a, a brokenness now. It's not so much about you. You know, people say, uh, well, aren't, don't you believe in the, the pre-trip? I said, no, because uh, if there is, I'm praying that I stay. Because all the knowledge that God has given me, I'm just going to take off and say, bye, be, be, here's what James says to that. Let me tell you what the scripture says. Be blessed and be filled. Adios. What James is saying there is that's not how God expects you to act. He expects you to act like Christ did. Went out, saved you. He went out and helped you. Buy a bag of groceries. Then say, be blessed and be well. And eat. Okay, and don't just say it out of words. Do it out of deed. You know, your faith is determined by your actions, not only your mouth. <clears throat> so, back to uh, the desert. When I came outside thinking I was going to hit this guy because my fleshly desire came over me. And I, and I know I didn't blaspheme the Holy Spirit <laughs> at that time, but uh, that part person of me that was struggling, you know, we, we, we do that. Even, even when you're saved, you do that. You kind of go back and forth sometimes. Uh, we're not into perfection yet. Some people, have, I don't know, may have a handle on it, but then you find out he had a prostitute on his side, or he did this and he did that, you know. And uh, Jim Baker, you know, I think he really gave his heart to Christ after he went to prison. Tammy Baker, I don't know. She kind of still went around, you know, crying a lot and, Having, you know, who are they? Uh, Jim Baker and T Tammy Baker, they were uh, these uh, TV evangelists that uh, uh, made millions of dollars from proceeds that people were sending them back in the 80s. And uh, then they they found they were, uh, they were uh, not. Embezzling? Well, they, they weren't embezzling. I think they didn't pay their taxes and they went to prison for it. Hmm. He did. Anyway, he took all the blame, took all the rap and. So while he was in prison, he wrote a book and stuff. And I think that he was sincerely, uh, that broke him down to, you know, reality as to that, what he was a phony Christian out there to get the money, keep a status quo. But now that he was faced with prison time and he had a lot to think about, he uh, changed his heart. He wrote a book, you know. But what I'm saying is that when I walked out of the, of the place, I thought to hit this guy. He was standing eye to eye with me and he was about four four steps, three or four steps down. Mm -hmm. And it's just a very big man. And so here this 
angel <clears throat> is looking at me and I'm looking at him and I say, and then all of a sudden I get this idea not to hit him. <laughs> no revelation? Well, <laughs> what uh, yeah. What happened was is when I came out of the door and, uh, you know, and I, I looked at this guy to hit him all, and then I, the door slammed and I instinctively went to get the door. Now here's another part that's somewhat biblical because the door was locked. It seems like once you move, once you know the truth, you got to continue with it. You can't just come in and out of it. That's where you get in trouble. Now the door was locked. I couldn't go back in there for fresh water. I couldn't go back there and make a phone call. Now I'm in the desert again. I went from being, you know, it's like I go in the presence of the Lord. Now he puts me back out in the world. Let's see how you act again. Okay. Well, I went back to being me again. Let's clock this guy, steal his batteries and take off, get back home so I can be there with my wife. Time is ticking here. And the, the guy's standing there and he had his face like an angel, kind of like yours, you know. Oh. Just like a, like a nice face, you know. Yeah. Uh, a nice, innocent face. And and, uh, and he goes, hey, buddy. And I looked at him and I, I go, yes, sir. <laughs> Big guy. And I said, yes, sir. Uh can you help me with my map? And he says, I'm lost. And he shows me this map. And it's the same map that I had that, that was going to get me lost. So now I have the opportunity to show him the way. <laughs> right? <clears throat> and I said, by the way, is this a 1986 freight liner? I see, right? And he goes, yeah, I just bought this truck. You know, uh, and I said, wait, wait, I need a pair of jumper cables. You know, I was going to... I changed my mind from hitting this guy and knocking him out. I had a pretty good right hook at the time, you know. And so yeah, he, I... He told me how you cross hook. <laughs> and I thought twice, so I, I became political. I was, and I said, you wouldn't have to have a set of jumper cables, would you? And he says, I do. And I couldn't believe it. And so uh, he pulls out these big old massive cables to jumpstart my tractor. And he said, I said, why do you have those? He says, because there's a recall in these trucks. The batteries go out and the lights go out and then you go try to, and if you turn it off, you try to start, it won't start. <clears throat> so he just explained my entire ordeal that morning. Can we look, can, can we, can we, can we Google this right now? Are you, the 98, they had a recall on 86. it? 86. 86? You could. You could. Okay, keep because, talking to me. I'm going to look, yeah. not, not to question you, but. Uh, yeah, to, no, no. That's a, that's fact, fact check. Yeah, they had a, a, a problem with the. 86, yeah, because if you're working on a freight liner and it's having charging problems, you know, Google, uh, is it problems in 86 for uh, alternator? That's great. I like that. Modern day uh, fact check thing. Right? Yeah. 86 <clears throat> freight, what is it? Freight liner. Amazing. It's the beauty of, you might have to do it on your, it's. Oh, your internet? Yeah, I have my I got my, my hotspot hotspot on, but it's it says it says establishing secure connection. Just, just Google recalls for uh, eighty six Freightliner uh, charging system. Okay. Or TBS trouble uh, uh, TBS bulletins for eighty six Freightliners. Can we charging system? David, can you check that? Yeah, not, it's not. Uh, recall, recall archives. Recall or uh, they'll they'll 
they'll call they'll say something else they'll say um, <clears throat> uh, gosh can't think think of my testimony in that uh, <clears throat> bulletins charging system freight liners 86 <clears throat> Nothing. <clears throat> well, it's just it's. Um, I, I'm not getting internet, so. Oh. <clears throat> but continue on. Then. Okay. So anyway, um, we get in his truck. He says, uh, I, "I said I know exactly where the, where the location is," you know, and I didn't. I was, you know, walked all that way through the desert. Here's another job site. I guess it was going to be started there, and this guy somehow got lost in the desert and finds me. You know, they're at that <clears throat> uh, construction building, so we. We drive back through the hills and we're talking and we're driving and I'm looking for that job site. <laughs> I realize I'd walk so far. So here it comes, boom, there it is, you know, and like, he, well, he sees it and says, well, it must be that one. And it's way over there. <laughs> you can see the skeletons of the, of the houses being built, you know, for the two by fours and stuff. So we, we're in there and we're driving through the neighborhood, you know, of all these houses being built. And then he says, oh, there it is. And sure enough, it was my truck. So we pulled up next to it and we uh, put the cables on it, fired it up. And then he says, wow. He says, that's great. He says, I said, well, what you were telling me the story about your truck. He says, yeah, I, my truck broke down uh, at the other job site. And uh, uh, because the, the, the alternator had, wasn't charging, I went to start it and it was dead. So I had to sleep in my truck. And while I was there, there were all these people trying to, you know, break into the equipment stuff and I was basically fighting them off so they wouldn't you know break into my truck or throw rocks at it because I just got it from the loan from the bank you know took out a loan for it <clears throat> it's not even paid for it and here I'm having problems with it and stuff so I said oh, this will never happen to me again if I only had a set of jumper cables <laughs> so he went out and had some jumper cables made I mean I benefited from that 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 guy was lost in one sense okay I mean God was getting me back home <clears throat> in other words I couldn't stay broke down so that probably would be another message to people is that you can try to stay down, but God's not going to let you stay down. He's going to lift you up. You know, you can try to say, oh, you know, I really messed up now and God is totally going to abandon me. That's not his, that's not his, that's, there's a, a verse you will read, I think it's 59th chapter of Psalms. It says, thou thoughtest I was altogether together a man such as you or thee. Uh, God, or is it, I say, no, it's, I think it's either Isaiah 59 or Psalm 59, one of the two. You'll have to fact check me on that. Uh, it's just a little phrase. In other words, I don't think like you, like a man does. And that's really something to understand that we should never think that God wants is so mad at us, wants nothing to do with us. So he keeps trying, he keeps trying. We're actually the ones that just become stupid and... I'm not going back. And, and it's not him. Mm -hmm. He doesn't do that. Eventually, you seal your fate and walk away and turn around. So it's not God that does it because he thinks of us, it says in Psalms 139, more than the, than the, than the grains of sands on the earth. You know, So you're in his mind constantly. It's like having a son, a little son, you just had him, and you can't take him out of your mind. So 
how does that relate to a God who's upset at you and doesn't want nothing to do with you? He's saddened even for those that, that don't want, don't ever come to him. It breaks his heart. Okay, so it gives me comfort to know that there is a God like this that uh, allowed me to sin and yet still work with me. He wasn't going to let me stay in the desert like that other man stayed in the desert for someone like me. Well, that man who stayed in the desert may have been an angel as tall as he was and as short as the other guy was, and they happened to be at the right place at the right time. Yeah. You know, so you might try to fact check them and not find them because these guys, their addresses are in heaven. <laughs> You'll find the recalls on a website called NH, NHTSA. There are six recalls for the 1986 Freightliner. Um, electrical systems for the seat belts, for the service brakes, air, steering, and structure. So... Um, for the system is the cable fusible. Uh, short circuit can result in the trucks catching fire. So they had some short circuits through the, they're saying through the. Yeah, through, so a fusible link. Okay. Yeah. The, and if that breaks. Battery retainer. You, yeah. want, you won't charge the system too. Yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty good. I didn't even well, that's true. Yeah. So, so. <laughs> <laughs> now, now all you gotta do is find the addresses of these two guys. <laughs> They may be in heaven, I don't know. Yeah. Because at the time, you know, I, I didn't take detailed information now because I had a need. That was <laughs> to get back. Yeah. You know. Did, and, did you ever, did you ever, you, you got back? Well, I know you got I got back. Well, what ended up happening after he fires me up, uh, I get in my truck. Oh, no, before I get in my truck, I'm sorry. Um, I, let's see, what was it? I? I got down off the truck to go thank the guy. And I'm seeing, looking at him through his rear view mirror. Let's just pretend that's a rear view mirror. And he's like this. And then he's, he's going like this. And he, he goes, and somebody had made some kind of a makeshift sign, you know, uh, there, because there was no signs and roads. So people were, were making signs. Okay, this is this street, this is that street. And somebody, there was a, a makeshift sign that said, the way to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> and he's looking at that and he's pointing to the sky you know and pointing at that and I'm an aborigine baboon I don't know I'll, you know people say heaven's up there and it never came to me and then all of a sudden he turns on the bellows I mean he, he sticks the the, uh, the PTO pulls the PTO cable and the water come, I hear the, it grind and the water starts to psh, spray out because his job was to water the rope but just before he starts that some guy says, hey, uh, I, I want to say he said Steve. And so wait, he was trying to get to where your truck he was? He was already there. So, so the, but he was trying to get to where your yes, truck was. where I was at. <laughs> and he said if he didn't get there, he was going to lose his contract with, with the contract guy there. <laughs> and now he was running late. Well, he happens to be on time. The guy says, hey, you're five minutes early. Get on this road. We got some stuff coming in, and we need to get this road wet. And so, and he looks at me, and he's just like, and he says... And he does this. That's what caused him to say that. That's right. And uh, I still don't get it. This guy is glad. And, and then he's looking at that guy. He says, you mean I got the job? I got the job. And he says, get on this road. Because I guess through this mishap, the guy took it as though it was an excuse. There were, he was on the other job side that uh, he, he was making excuses why he couldn't keep up with watering the road because his batteries were... Constantly being drained. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so now we got it fixed, and he's on the job site, and 
because of me getting him there on time, he was able to keep his job yeah. and then pay his truck off. So why do they water the roads? To because it gets so dusty. Yeah. And then you get it in your nose, and then you know just to keep the dust down. I got you. When there's there's and it's, it gets in everything, you know. So they water the road stuff, and it it packs the dirt tighter. They put rock or what have you. So anyway, <clears throat> um, I get in the truck, my truck, and I'm all soaking wet from head to toe. Because he turned he turned on the, the the water, and I'm standing back there, and he just doused me with water. You know, so here's your water. <laughs> did, did, did he did he do that out of just like? Yeah, just clowning around. <laughs> and he drives drives off, and you know it was the most beautiful thing I ever saw. See this truck in this water, laying on on the dry dry ground, and then what did stay in my mind was how the water didn't go into the ground. It looked like large veins, like large rivers coming out of. Mm. It, it would coagulate, and it just wouldn't sink. It was so dry. It made it look like <clears throat> fruits of a tree. Yeah, and and it later on I discovered that that's the way my heart was. That's why I kept going in and out, in and out, where I would because my heart was hardening against God, mm-hmm. and He's showing me pictures like saying, "Hey, check out your heart." I just, you know, like Peter. <laughs> Here's Peter. One minute he's all for God, next minute he's oh I don't know that guy. Well, <clears throat> I get in the truck. And was I'm that there of, that you realized that, or was that no? Later? That was later on. Yeah. But I get in the truck and I'm just acting like Peter because I forget all that was done, and I'm thinking in my head, I'm gonna get on the five freeway after the fourteen. I'm gonna go fourteen two ten two ten south, and you know uh, a little ways I'll hit the seven down. I'm trying to think of a way to get. Because at this time, the traffic is going to be heavy going into L.A. Yeah. <clears throat> and there's no way I'm going to get to Garden Grove. Uh, not till night because bumper-to-bumper traffic. So I'm already thinking I'm going to plow cars all the way there. I don't care. You know, just my mind, I was going to lose my wife, and she was everything to me. So uh, I didn't have anything to live for anyway. You know, I had parents that abandoned me and uh, just a rotten life, you know. So nothing was... Nothing was ever going right. So it was just being born into a Seth pole. Dad left when I was five, uh, just turned five. And then my mother marries her sister's husband. <clears throat> we used to call Uncle Fred. Now we had to call him. I shouldn't use names, but now uh, it's uh, Dad. <laughs> and growing up in this dysfunctional family, you know, and I don't say this out of any resentment <clears throat> towards any of that, okay? We were young. I was young. Had no choice in where I was going to grow. When you're not walking with Christ, and you don't really have Him in your heart, you're capable of anything, beyond anything, of marrying, you know, a horse, a cow, or whatever. You know, I heard about a guy marrying wanting to marry a stupid horse, or the know, guy in China, who or, or AI. the stupid guy wanting to marry the poor house who horse. What? There's a guy in China who married AI, artificial intelligence wife see you know if you don't know Alexa <clears throat> bring me a sandwich <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're prone to anything but when you now that you have Christ in your heart you have you know your conscience is working all the time that's why so you, John did you says, feel did you, did you look back on that and say like you've yes. always been privileged <clears throat> I look back when I started reading my Bible that's the key yeah when you first get introduced to Christ and I believe that a lot of this happens a lot to people. See, I didn't, I didn't uh, 
nobody came to me and said, hey, how would you like to be saved? Da, 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 da. I find out that that was recent in the 1960s when uh, some guy uh, back in Florida <clears throat> came up with the <clears throat> this, you know, how do you know you're saved, you know, and then uh, John, and read you Romans 3.10, you know, where all the world has sinned, you know, and come short of the glory of God, you know, and, and they quote you all these scriptures to make you feel guilty and then you become born again again, mm -hmm. okay? <clears throat> well, they may have, some people have come to know the Lord like that, but before James Kennedy, how did they do it? They did it like this. They did it with their testimonies. That's why you want to put that helmet of salvation on your head to guard that testimony that's up here that Satan will try to take away from you. You want to guard that. That's that's your credentials of how you came to know Christ, you know. So that helmet of salvation, yeah, you get struck in the head, but it's really to, to guard your testimony. You get knocked out. Oh, am I a Christian? <clears throat> it's just my, my interpretation of it. Sure. When you put on the whole armor of God, you know, there's it's all there for a purpose. <clears throat> and, excuse me. Uh, so back to what I was saying is that I get in the cab, and the devil gets in the cab, and it's, you know, making a picture up here of how he gets in my heart to just plow everybody down to get home. Well, guess what? I get on the 5 freeway, and if there's a way to fact check that, when that happened, I have to give you the date. The freeway was open from the 14 to the 210 to the <clears throat> 5 freeway all the way down to the 22. Got off on on uh, uh, Garden Road Boulevard where Garden Grove Hospital was. And then <clears throat> it was open all the way. I made it back almost at 11 hours of surgery, right? It's interesting. When I drove <clears throat> from here down through to... Um, San Diego, I didn't hit a lick of bumper to bumper, just all the way there. <laughs> Is that normal <clears throat> from no. here to like San Diego? Like no. if you were to go through. <laughs> That's a, I mean, there's a lot of people. You're talking millions and six million people, you know, that you're going to almost encounter, you know, some, everybody's going everywhere. I mean, it was, it was at <clears throat> three o'clock, but. Yeah. Three o'clock is dead on bumper to bumper until yeah. seven, eight o'clock at night. Yeah. You know, going. Five freeway, you know, they got an artery of seven yeah. freeway, the <clears throat> 60 freeway you can jump on, the 10 freeway, you know, it just depends. So on if anybody's driving intent. through LA, you know, hop in the, hop in the cab with, with George or hop in the Subaru with Sam and we'll get through quickly. Yeah. You know, God has a reason to get you there that fast. You could ask yourself, why? What's, what's, what's this? Why am I here? You know, there's always a reason. Yeah. For that, it's not coincidence. And for that, you can <clears throat> check out episode four with Jay Shirley. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, the, the episode four after I came oh. here and I went down to San Diego and we talked with Jay, the guy also I met in in Texas. Oh, I see. And and so I had to go through. Well, LA. <clears throat> I tell myself there's never any parking on that parking lot at the Garden Grove Hospital. Mm-hmm. Or go medical center or something like that. So I'm going to park myself in the middle <clears throat> of the street, you know, the lane where you can turn in. And I tell myself I'm going to park there and throw the keys in there, shut the engine off, and when I find an nearest payphone, tell Walter come get your truck. Mm -hmm. Broke down right there. So I'm already again evil's telling me what dictating for me what to do after God has shown me all of this that He's been with me the whole time. So I'm anxious to go see my wife. See if she's alive, <clears throat> and if my son is still alive, you know. So, because she was pregnant with our first son. 
So I, as, I, as I'm getting ready to, to do as I, my heart said to do, I look across and there's a guy rolling up a yellow caution tape. It just painted the whole parking lot with uh, blacktop. <clears throat> and I look at the guy and I said, hey, uh, can this truck go in there? And I'm yelling at him. He says, hell, I don't care. It's Miller time. <laughs> <laughs> so he rolls up the tape and I drove in there and I parked over 30 stalls, you know, big old long thing, you know. And then I threw the keys in there. <laughs> I still committed to sin, you know. <clears throat> and I went inside and I uh, went up to the third floor it was where she was at. And when I get there, uh, the doors open up. The the doors to to the surgery room, one door opens up. The doctor comes out, and he has a uh, towel thing over his head. And he's taking off. Says Mr. Torres, and I says, Yes, sir. And he goes, uh, Could you fall? Would you walk with me? And, I, and right there, you know, I I got a lump in my throat. I wanted to cry <clears throat> because I thought he was gonna, you know. I watch so many televisions when the doctor comes out looking like that. It's not good news, you know. And then he's and uh, he says, you know, I, I need to tell you something before I tell you something. And that's that sounded kind of weird. He goes, uh, ten years ago, almost to the very day, uh, my mother. Uh, I was celebrating her birthday, so I went to go see her. She had put herself through three jobs to put me in the medical school, and then I graduated. And I, my first year, I wasn't even you know, uh, paying attention to her. So her birthday came, and I thought to myself, I was convicted by that, that I should go see my mom and take her out, buy her flowers, and just spoil her. Well, <clears throat> he says, uh, we're walking down the park together, and I, I wanted to tell her how much I loved her and how much I appreciate her. But then I turned to tell her, and this is how he said it, you know, and uh, I didn't see her there. So I looked back, and she was laying on the on the ground, the concrete. She had had an suffered an aneurysm that took her life before she hit the ground, and she was gone. And after that, I decided I was going to become a neurologist. I was a foot doctor, an uh, orthopedic <clears throat> doctor, and I went for more schooling to become the head doctor. You know, and I says, but I couldn't do the surgery. The man that you had do the the man that you called and introduced us to him, Jen Hoken, uh, he did the surgery. You know, we didn't know he was around. There were two other doctors that could have done three, two other doctors, but they're both in Europe, and they wouldn't have come out this way for your wife. And he said it just like that, too arrogant, I guess. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> anyway, he opens up the door, and there's my wife sitting in the in, on the bed with her head wrapped up, you know, in the in the towel, and and that's when you know I come in, I say, uh, um, hi, and she says, uh, did you see him? <laughs> I said, ooh, uh, the guy, he was just here talking to me. And again, that's when I started to think about, <clears throat> wow, when I told, when I cursed at God and said, where are you? Because I, I cursed at him in the dark. And here he, she was in the light, you know, and, and then the, the nurse didn't see him, but evidently somebody went in there, sat down with her, and read her the gospel, the four gospels. And he says, just as there are four gospels, you will have four children. Guess what? We have four children, and we we've never been able to have any more than that. Nobody got tied up. Nobody got fixed. <laughs> it just stopped right after David. <laughs> Go figure that one. So you see how all these oddities, weird stuff that happened. You know, <clears throat> I could. I don't. I would venture to say that a lot of people go through 
experiences kind of like this. I think the more bummed you are, but at least trying to look for God, the more chance you'll find you'll get an experience like mine. But if you've had mom and dad and, and watched Leave with the Beaver and had a leave at June for your mom and what's his name? Uh, uh, Rod. Roy. Huh? Yeah, the, the husband of June. Uh, yeah, there was a, forget his name, you know, he was always the perfect dad dressed in a suit and tie. She was always the perfect mom, you know, and she loved Beaver and she loved Wally and even let him bring over a mischief kid, you know, and uh, you're not going to quite see him as much when you have everything. <clears throat> Again, Scripture says that, not me. Don't make me so rich I don't know who you are. Am I saying get rid of your parents? No. If they're godly parents, they will help you to and encourage you. So it's not going to be their fault when you're walking the opposite way because they there was a good foundation. God works through them. But he makes, like it says, he'll take an orphan and he'll make himself the father of that orphan. I'm literally an orphan. And the way I grew up, literally an orphan. In that sense, my wife the same way too. She, she, Her mom's dead. Her two brothers are dead. Half brothers are dead. Never knew her father. So the only family she has is us now. You know, uh, it's just, I mean, we were like throwaways, basically. Mr. Derelict marries Mrs. Derelict. <laughs> Mr. Derelict, who came from a dysfunctional home, marries Mrs. Derelict, who came from a dysfunctional home. Boom, they come together. 36 years happens later. <clears throat> same wife, same husband. The only, the, the good thing about this on the earth is it gives us a, um, a pulpit to preach. You know, people are confused about, it says, be in season, preach the word, be in season, out of season, to reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and doctrine, I believe that's Second uh, Timothy chapter four, <clears throat> verse one, two, and three. <clears throat> Who preaches? There's two kinds of preachers: those that are sent, and those that are called. And both are the same. In one sense, the the church lays hands on you and sends you. Okay, so he goes and he preaches. Nobody laid hands on me, but the Lord Himself can lay hands on you and send you out. Okay, how shall they hear except they be sent? And, and too many preachers today are sitting behind that pulpit, too comfortable, doing, just collecting their status quo, their 401k, not realizing that God has made your children your 401k. Okay, and if you don't have children and you have deadbeat kids, Jesus is your 401k. Hmm. Okay, and so he, just because you don't have to go be an orphan to get his attention, you already got his attention because he's purposed you to be a family or a complete family to maybe show another family how to be that way or to show someone like us how to be a family. And it's very important that <clears throat> it isn't the pastor who knows how to fix everything. It's the body of Christ that, that discerns that something's going on with you and your wife. And they come in. They don't want to judge you or know everything about you. They're going to forbear you long suffering. you. This is the way the body of Christ should act, not with psychology and Jane Goodall and her psychoanalysis and all that other garbage that doesn't work. It doesn't even work for monkeys. Monkeys don't even know, you know that they're monkeys. They just know they do what monkeys do. <laughs> dog does what a dog does and a cow does what a cow does, you know, the way God made them. So this is the way, this is the way a monkey should act. You know, and somebody feels sorry because that little monkey, the lion ate the mama. 
and now the lion's going to eat that one. So she tries to raise it like a baby and tries to give it uh, <clears throat> nourishment because the doesn't have its mother and doesn't have its father. You know, uh, God has God's world has been working by itself, all by itself, without your help, Jane. <laughs> you don't need to wreck a bunch of kids' lives and endorse a book that says, use my method or a method just like this, primal therapy to raise these kids in orphan homes and stuff. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what do you think of dogma and doctrine? Dogma is something that man comes up with. Doctrine is something that God wrote. Uh, it's teaching. Docket is the Latin word for teach. Uh, dogma is something that man adds to uh, the doctrine. And it becomes distinct in that uh, religion or whatever or that... Uh, uh, denomination. Do you think dogma uh, and doctrine are nuance? Uh, do, in the context, in the context doc- of salvation. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> if you take seven sacraments of dogma to get saved, okay. Yeah. You, th- that's about as as radical as I can show you. That that's man's way of getting saved through seven sacraments that are not scripture. In scripture, it has to be in scripture. And you can't exegate something that isn't there. Using You have to use proper exegesis to take out what's there. And you can only take out what's there by using the Word of God, what's there. Not the experiences of a man or the commentaries of a man as how he thinks they are. Like our Jewish brothers, they have the Talmud. And the Talmud is a commentary of the Tanakh. The Tanakh is the acronym for the Torah the Ketavim and the Netavim. The Ketavim <coughs> is... The Old uh, Testament? Yeah, it's the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi. And it's the writings of the prophets. It's the Ackerman. <coughs> That's why they call it the Tanakh. Well, Jewish Judaism says that you don't know what how the Bible reads unless you have the comments of the rabbis of the past. Or the priest, they commentate, so they'll tell you, you know, you you the what the Talmud says is more important than what the Tanakh says. Okay, that's a dogma. <clears throat> that's dogma. Okay, yeah. that's not truth. Truth is, you know, I am the truth, light, and the way. Not the tol- the Talmud, not the commentations of Vatican II or Vatican One. Or, you know what I'm saying? Or even uh, uh, Communist Manifesto 1 or 2. These are dogmas. You know, and, and those too are religions. Uh, they don't have to be, they can be cosmic religions, cosmic dogmas by which we look at things to know what truth is. So we people rely on other supposedly smart, enlightened people <clears throat> that have the truth. They have a dogma. See? Now Paul says, You've seen my doctrine. When he's saying that, he's referring to <clears throat> that my behavior. In in sixteen seventeen seventeen no sixteen seventeen I think it is in Romans he says mark those who speak contrary to doctrine or, or something of that nature. Doctrine that is written all scripture is proper proof correction righteousness of the man of God is perfectly and thoroughly equipped. Scripture. 
is the doctrine that is the writing and the doctrine is the teaching like what Jesus would teach on for instance uh, <clears throat> how to pray when thou prayest pray in this way and then he says and we're to pray go in your closet and pray you don't make it a big show look oh God. and see the Jews would say Barakata, Adonai, Lekenu, you know in street corners because they have a prayer for everything the the God said Jesus says don't do that okay I already know what's in your heart. You're just showing off for everybody else. So there's a, a way to pray, a doctrinal way to pray versus a dogma to pray where the priest would say, oh, look how holy I am, you know, uh, or, you know, oh, did you, oh, God, thank you that you didn't make me a sinner like those sinners, you know. You see, yeah. <clears throat> the, these are dogmas of the rabbis or the dogmas of the, um, what was Paul? He was a, um, a Pharisee. Dogmas of the Pharisees versus the Sadducees, those that believed in resurrection, those that didn't believe in resurrection. <clears throat> See, and then those are the teachings. What does the Bible say about the resurrection? That we would be resurrected, body and spirit. We will be as He is, you know, one day when we get to heaven before His presence, you know, to be out of the bodies, to be in pres present with the Lord, okay? But in the when, when the final end happens and we come together again and we we will go up body and spirit like jesus did you'll find him in body and spirit the one that sits next to the father in heaven so what happened to jesus will happen to us see that's doctrine dogma would say well jesus wasn't uh fully fleshed that's why he never sinned he was only spirit that's gnosticism that's plato's philosophy getting into uh, the Bible so that someone can accept why Christ was pure and not and not sinful. Okay, so they just add to it they, because it has to do with what Plato, how he believed what matter was and what spirit was. Anything that has matter uh, restrains you from knowing something. Okay, now you get it into theology, mingled it with uh, the writings of the, of the, of the Bible then it's, well, we cannot obtain perfection of not sinning because everything, every element has is material and material things restrain us from perfection like Christ. Or Plato said it restrains us from having perfection of the mind. It's kind of the same thing. But we sin with our flesh. So, you know, uh, we, we can't be like Christ. But Christ was not... He couldn't have had a flesh, okay? Because he had higher understanding and higher knowledge. Therefore, he was spirit. This is, uh, this is Gnosticism. This is Medicheism. This is the way they believed <clears throat> uh, guys like uh, um, uh, Justin Martyr. He was, you know, people that came out of, Ante I mean, uh, Alexandria. Alexandria was, in Egypt, was were all Gnosticism. Was, was born, there was that which was at Antioch, the writings from Antioch and the writings from uh, uh, Alexander are conflicting because the Gnostics wrote those and those Gnostics, again, they were Grecian philosophers and they mingled that with the doctrines, uh, the writings of the apostles, okay? And then they omit it to make it where it's achievable in their minds to achieve higher learning, higher knowledge, higher understanding. Follow me? Yeah. And that's not, that's dogma.
anytime man adds something hyper, overplays it or underplays it, like here's another, here's, n nobody goes to hell. Okay. You, you go to sleep. And then uh, you, you receive whatever, but you don't go to hell. There's no hell. Okay, that's underplaying it. And Christ talked about hell. Okay, talked about the abuso, talked about, you know, the lake of fire. You know, there is a hell, a place of suffering, you know. Uh, so, again, there's the dogmas of men and there's the doctrines of Christ. There's the teachings of Jesus and there's teachings of God, you know. <clears throat> so, long, kind of a long way of putting so, it. I I'm looking at like the the dogmas that pertain to, and the doctrines that pertain to specific um, denominations, and what I found is that between um, it seems like it distances people from each other. It does. Um, <clears throat> at first, if you're first, let's say somebody invites you to a church and you go there, and uh, there's a basket being passed out and everybody's putting money into the coffer and you don't and they'll say the pastor will say listen for those of you who are for, uh, first here you know uh, first time here you don't have to put money in the coffer or those of you who are not born again you don't understand you don't have to put money in the coffer mm -hmm. so <clears throat> there is a regeneration or if you're the first time here you don't have to do communion yeah yeah and Right, because you don't understand the meaning of communion. You have to be born again to understand the process of what it means to be that. Yeah. Okay, otherwise you're basically sinning and taking it without understanding. Yeah. Okay, so that again, that's a dogma. Uh, and there, it, it has truth when, when the person is accountable for what he's, when he understands the scripture and why he takes it, do this in memory of me. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, when you have fellowship and you break bread, the breaking of the bread and the wine, you know, Christ says to do this in memory of me. Would that be doctrine me. then? That's communion. doctrine. The communion is doctrine. The, but Catholics... But can it, be, can it become dogma once you say you... How it becomes dogma... First here, you don't have, like, to... Is when you add or when you take away. Probably the best way to put it. It becomes dogma when this particular denomination says, hey, this is how we partake of this and yeah. do it this how does, way. How does communion, communion go from doctrinal to dogma? Okay. Kind of when, when um, for instance, the, the Catholics, I hate to pick on my Catholic friends, but the host is supposedly, it's a mystery. Okay. And they keep it in this uh, container and where the mystery is that the bread becomes flesh and it's transubstantiation. See, and you have to go back to the 11th century and see how this idea of, of uh, transformation is possible uh, through, and it's an Aristilian dogma applied to something theological to make it so you can understand it, try to understand it, even though you don't understand it. Because this is the crazy part. If I would take a spectrometer and I were to spill the blood, you know, some of the wine that the priest drinks, which supposedly is the actual literal blood, and look under a spectrometer, I won't find human DNA in that. Yeah. 
Okay, what am I going to find? I'm going to find what makes up wine. The nitrates, the citric, the wa-da-da-da-da-da-da. I'm not a botanist, you know, to know any of that, but I know this, that that DNA will not match the human DNA. <clears throat> You're not going to find the spectrometer will tell you the truth. Aristotle's idea was strictly a, 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 a Gnostic idea of transubstantiation. You know, they didn't know what the spirit and the soul, was Aristotle the difference Catholic? were. Aristotle was uh, <laughs> good question. Okay, <clears throat> Aristotle comes into the that in the 11th century by a guy in the name of Thomas Aquinas, where he wrote this this uh, uh, thing called systemat uh, summa theologica. It's basically systematic theology, breaking down all the different facets of who God is, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, God, the Father, uh, the church body, and all of these uh, teachings as to how the church, the body of Christ operates and how God operates, who God is, what he's made out of, what the Holy Spirit is made out of. This is how uh, Thomas Aquinas laid this out for the Catholic Church by reading Aristotle. So he's basically giving you the under, uh, he's doing an expository of um, systematic theology through the method of Aristotle, supposedly to help us understand uh, and explain things of God, the nature of God, and things like that. Why do that. people do that? <clears throat> because it's, it's easy to do that. Uh, it, and it really, it, it works in one sense to show, to take this particular category and then say, that's the way it is. See, and, and but what happens is you get seminary schools that uh, add their own thing to it. They say, no, it's like this. So Aristotle did not only affect the Christians, but he also affected Judaism. There was a guy by the name of Moses Marmenides, mm -hmm. who uh, was a famous Jewish uh, doctor who worked, for Saladin, uh, the great, the uh, the Ottoman king of is of of um, uh, the Ottoman Empire, or whatever you know, and uh, he wrote uh, uh, took the Mishnah and made it simple for the common man to read, okay, by using commentaries. But uh, he used an Aristotelian method of of, of uh, writing the Mishnah. I believe it was the Mishnah. And Aristotle is basically, if you know, Aristotle was the, the student of Plato. <clears throat> Plato was a student of Socrates, if there was a Socrates. But Wasn't Alexander the Great also the student, student of Socrates? Student of Alexander, of, of, of uh, Aristotle. Aristotle. Yeah, King Philip hired him to teach him. And, uh, well, his father, you know. And uh, Aristotle's method is by pragmatism and not like Plato's ideas of ideas and platitudes. Aristotle would be touch, smell, hear, see, and taste. So his would be a more cosmic perspective of things. But see, we're humans, and so we need to see it to believe it kind of saying, right? And transubstantiation, Aristotle has a better way of explaining transubstantiation uh, to Christians, you know, about blood turning into wine because they, they couldn't, Compre just like the, the Pharisees said, she couldn't comprehend how the blood could be, <clears throat> the, drink this, this is my blood, mm -hmm. and or eat this, this is my body, this bread is my body. They couldn't understand it. Jesus was not talking in, in, in uh, metaphors, really. I, I don't want to use it. He was more talking in symbol, symbolism. 
okay? Uh, metaphors are, uh, we can use the word metaphor, but it's mostly used in philosophy for something like something or something transcend, transforming into something else. Sure. Okay? So, but there has to, you have to use a lot of allegory too as well. And allegory doesn't necessarily have any basis of truth other than it's allegorical. Like for instance, the thousand year millennium. Some people believe that, all millennials believe there is no millennium. There is no thousand year reign of Christ. That's an allegory, okay, of the thousand year that the thousand year has already passed and now we're in the second thousand year and Christ still hasn't come, so therefore it's an allegory. It's not literal, okay? So you have their allegories and the allegories come from people like Aristotle and Plato, mm -hmm. you know, Plato, more so Plato uh, because uh, he would use a lot of allegory to do his teachings, you know, about what Socrates said. So allegory would also like apply to uh, the the seven days of creation? Uh, seven days of creation? No. Uh, because allegory is more like, okay, let me give you one that you're probably familiar There was a guy by the name of uh, John, 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 uh, starts with a B, John Bunyan. John Bunyan was basically like a post- um, uh, a post-reformist who was a priest but became a born-again Christian and he was out preaching and uh, he got locked up for preaching the gospel and they told him not to and he goes in into jail when he goes in they put him in jail while he was in jail I think it's seven years or so he writes an allegory of uh, a pilgrim becoming a Christian it's called Pilgrim's Progress so it's he's speaking in in a poetic form of how this man who becomes born again and he and this pastor leads him into uh to become born again and he has this burden that uh he has to uh carry and what's the, the carrying of the burden basically i think is the, is the cross it's been a while since i read it but it's a picture of a man going through what it's like uh being a christian using um like uh scenarios like the pond of despondency he talks about you know he was doing okay and all of a sudden he hits the pond of despondency it's like a, either backsliding or feels like depressed or feels like he, he's, he's inadequate to be a christian okay so it's using allegory to describe the passion of this man trying to walk a christian life another good book would probably be another good allegorist would be victor hugo's uh, le mesmerab uh is where um a prisoner, a guy who's in prison for a long time, he comes out and uh, tries to walk a Christian life, but he runs into situations of uh, where he never made it from one point to the next when he got out of prison to fulfill his, uh, uh, what do they call that, uh, when somebody gets out of prison uh, and they... Probation. No, on probation, yeah. And he never gets to that point, so now he's a wanted criminal. And so the story's about his life and the struggles that he has to, to be a Christian, he keeps running into situations. So there, it's, it's a type of allegory using metaphors of something to explain something in a story poetically. It's more, mostly done in a poetic form. But allegory, as far as allegorizing the millennial, uh, is to say that there is, no, there is not going to be one. 
the Catholics are all millennials. They believe that there is not going to be a thousand-year reign, that we are in that thousand-year reign now, okay, uh, because 2,000 years has passed. See, all this dogma that's created by the guys like, uh, I forget what century they came up with that on the thousand-year millennium. Uh, could have been the seventh century, so don't quote me on that. But a lot of this was because of the, the Grecian philosophies that mingled with theologies. And these guys uh, would go uh, to school in these seminary schools, basically, you know, become monks or whatever. And in you know, certain time periods, the Bible was chained to the pulpit. And so they would only imagine, uh, I mean, some of them got it right too, like Tyndale. You know, uh, but some of these guys, they with wherever they were being taught, is how they developed their hermeneutics. Do you think that there's more focus on dogma and doctrine in the churches today than? That's a good question. It's a very good question. Um, there's a lot of f focus on that because since people don't see Christ and pe you know pe people have go through experiences that are traumatic. Uh, they want something that they can touch. Something, you know, uh, your Jews, for instance, uh, just, um, you, you know, they, they there's these, uh, what they call uh, uh, Orthodox, some of these Orthodox Jews that, um, there's a name for them, they bounce their heads back and forth and their curls are hoping to catch these zoot suits, these emanations from uh, <clears throat> that. If they can capture these emanations, then they, there's a possibility that they can, be the one that brings the Messiah into the world. See, this is Gnosticism. This is this is uh, Kabbalah. This is mysticism. See, all this stuff. Uh, it's it's. You, if you go to the Christian bookstores now, there used. To, I remember twenty years ago, you would find a lot of good books on. Can I uh, tell you a story? Uh, sure. Real quick about that. Going to a Christian bookstore. <clears throat> I went in there and I was looking for. Um, well, I'll, I'll say it because I think that night one, it's it's accepted in today's culture, which is I think just mind-boggling. And then two, because it's true, is that ninety, I would put you know, there's no number on it. I mean, there is a number on it. Uh, porn is is like the top ten searches on Google. Like, I mean, that that topic is something. Like it's it, 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 there's it's. It seemed like when I walked into that Christian bookstore that I was walking into a place that was just absolutely clueless you as mean, far as was the struggles that men go through. Girls were dressed or the books that were selling? No, what I mean is by I was like, I want to get some kind of book that, that uh, can speak to me on these kind of terms. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, you know, and I can imagine there's probably several thousands of men that have gone to a Christian mm -hmm. bookstore to find something Solace. that, yeah, just like, you know, somebody who, who wrote a book who like experienced, you know, mm -hmm. like, yeah, I, I struggle with pornography or I masturbate or whatever. Like I wrote a book, right? Somebody, and, and I walked in there and I was like, I wonder if there's, you know, like I walked in there and then I, I'm looking and the more I'm looking, I, I, the, I, the harder it is to find something. And I'm also thinking to myself, there's, there's going to be thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of men of who are opinion. going to yeah. going to well that, oh, this yes. is this is this is the you know yes. this is one and of the right. largest struggles of, of teenage men today right yes 
and, and so I walk in there and I'm looking around on all the shelves and I can't find anything. Not only that, you know, there's three women working there. I'm not going to go up to a woman and say, hey. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm kind of stuck and I'm, you know, I walk over there and I say, you know, where's the men's um, section? And the men's section too, which is unbelievable, is probably one-eighth the size or one-tenth the size of the women's section, which, you know, I mean, if you look around on the churches nowadays, it's not, it's, it's, it's not, it's not to... It's a, there's there's more women in church than there are mm-hmm. men in church nowadays. Uh, you, you, women are very spiritual. Yeah, yeah. And, and so and so when I'm walking in there, you know, it's like if it, it flipped me on the head and and said like, "Golly, this Christian bookstore isn't a Christian." Well, you know, and then I also saw on the walls that there's all these paintings and stuff, and it was, you know, it was ninety nine percent for women. One, number two, um, what was there for men? didn't understand the struggles of man. I mean, it was... Mm-hmm. I did. I did find one book. It was called Every Young Man's Battle and Every... Um, every... The old... Every Man's Battle is what it was called. Which was f- pretty flippin' ironic because whenever I was 15, 14, I, I read... I went through through a, a series in our, in our church um, and we read Every Young Man's Battle. Mm. 10 years later I walk into this store and try to find anything something I was willing to pay the $100 something that cost, that's, that's newer you know a newer you know hold on this or got the answer to this after or, 10 or, years later or somebody something <clears throat> at least somebody that could relate to me yeah. that, that wrote a book that, that I could you know and there was <laughs> you know what I walked out with I walked out with every every man's battle <laughs> well, that, know, was, that was it that was the unfortunately only... you know um, the devil has hijacked um, did I mention the, the jewelry that was also on the table when you first walk in did I mentioned that no a lot of jewelry and oh okay well he hijacked the, the, the rainbow maybe this is a bad example you know <laughs> And now the rainbow belongs to uh, uh, people who don't know who they are, what gender they're at, you know, who they are, you know. And he does that, like even the con- the confidence that one can have reading God's word. Scripture says, Wherewithal can a young man cleanse his ways, in Psalms 119, by taking heed thereto to the word of God. So it gives you a real simple, uh, right here, It's it's right here, you know. And and you kind of read it and you say, well, that's, it's, it's not that you're going to find right away to abstain from looking. Job says, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon my maiden. Uh, David said, I have made a covenant with my heart. You know, because you, you see with your heart and lust have to with your heart, you know. And it says that you believe with your heart and then you confess with your mouth, you know, yourself unto salvation. <clears throat> um, so... It, it's kind of like too Bible-ish maybe for some people or too religious that that the answers are there. But when you read God's Word, it's medicine. It, it literally says that that the Word of God is medicine, food to your navel. Yeah. So it's the nutrition you need. And the key of it is, is to fall in love with the Word of God and find yourself more fascinated than just reading stories about the Nile or about the Red Sea parting and 
all these dramatic stories that, that did happen, and they're va very valid. <clears throat> Just the way you can do that, you can do that, uh, remove that giant in your heart obstacle that's causing that, and again, through prayer, uh, through faith, through even uh, uh, ups, ups, obstinance like uh, foods and things like that I'm talking about, uh, and and seeking the right counsel and not not seeking psychology. Unfortunately, the hijack part of it that I'm speaking about is that uh, the psyche of a man, if you let me use that for now, rather than, you know, say the soul of a man, <clears throat> uh, Freud and Jungian are, and Maslow, these three guys, and there's more but th that I know of right now, because when I went to college and it took Psych 101, you know, they basically what they're doing there is restructuring you as to telling you why your parent did this, why you do this, why you using psychoanalysis to reconstruct your understanding that all of that religion you learned was all toilet. So now when you get to this age, you don't know how to go back to the word. But because you lose the the road is the road of fear again, and so the shame of doing what you're doing in front, that knowing that there is a God watching you, that too uh, should shock someone. You know, like like man to to know that. But again, you need the right teacher, the right person, and the Word of God is that person. You know, uh, and because then it starts to wash you and clean you, even you know without you knowing it, it stays in your mind. You meditate on it. And then you don't want to, you know, you and then you, you, you may have a whole Bible study, and therefore <clears throat> you got to abstain. And like I was saying that in the beginning when um, 20 years ago, you could go and find lots of good books on the subject of, you know, uh, Jesus and God by, you know, good writers like uh, um, Chuck Smith, um, Kennedy had some good books too. Unfortunately, some of Kennedy's would point you more towards Calvinism than anything else, but he was still pretty good. Uh, and then there was, you know, I, I read guys like R.C. Sproul too, who were very uh, philosophical, hermeneutically expositing on what God's Word said. But I had studied philosophy before I, I read R.C. Sproul or James Kennedy, and I knew what I was reading because I, I studied philosophy by myself, and their style was very much like that. <clears throat> but I found a lot of dead-end road, you know, found myself finding too sophisticated of dialogue to talk about God when he's right there very very much in your face in the Word of God. It's very simple. Mm -hmm. And trusting in that, in that understanding, and not mingling your mind. Like I once talked to a guy, I mean, I once offered a guy some coffee, and he said, no, 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 mingling with my... We make it with my, uh, how do you say it? With my wisdom. He was a mute. Okay, and I and I, he came to my shop to drop off a torque converter some parts, and I said, hey, would you like a cup of No, 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 make it with my wisdom. <laughs> In other words, it made him angry or he, he couldn't think straight. Mm. <laughs> so what to do, so, and that's the same thing too. When you put that's a condensed. lot of, yeah, when you put a lot of something in you, it mixes with your wisdom. Mm. And so the best thing to do is to use obstinance, stay away from it, fight it. Like that television is, is, is one of the biggest hurdles to overcome. You know, now it's nothing but garbage and garbage and garbage. How to mistreat a father, how to make him feel like he's nothing, how to, <clears throat> every mom is like a beauty queen. Every daughter is a prostitute. Every son has to sleep with a round. 
and or they're gay or this or that, you know. And it's 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 totally invading the household right there. And the best way to do it, and afterwards you become so vexed. There's a word in the Bible that's called vexation of spirit. Mm-hmm. It says a lot was he, his spirit was vexed from so much corruption going on. Seeing probably two guys holding and kissing and over here doing this and girls doing it. And it was everything was all topsy-turvy the way that God had intended it to be. And Sodom and Gomorrah was just so upside down. So how how do you get away from that, you know? The Bible says that we're going to come into this time and, and where the, the souls of men will be so vexed like the days of Lot, where he was there. But he says, I know how to save someone. Now, your our Calvinists would throw dogma in there and say, well, the way <clears throat> uh, you're saved from, from all of this is you'll be raptured out of here. The Word of God can save you from all of this if you stay in it and abstain from that. And abstain from this thing here that constantly, you know, they got to hold this thing. You know, this is mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, everything. Everybody's a smart aleck. Everybody's a know-it-all now with these silly things here, you know. No kid looks at you, Mr. So-and-so. He looks down at you, Mr. Hey, you. You know, this thing teaches kids how to be uh, angry, how it teaches them how to be discontent, not polite, you know. We have to compete with it. Not respectful to grandma, grandpa. It's they're talking to you, and this stupid thing is going off, and you don't care what they're saying. You know, you become a narcissist with this thing. TV teaches you to be that. Little girls want to be skinny and thinking that that's where it's at, and that's pretty, and this and that. You know, it just corrupts your heart the way God found you and made you fearfully and wonderfully made. He loves you the way you are. But you look at that and the devil says, no, this is the way you should look. Oh, look at that guy. He's cute. He's this. He's that. And, you know, it's just vexation of spirit. And that's basically what the world is doing to your heart. It's just if you're in it, if you eat, if you give into it too much, you're going to give into it. If you abstain from it. When I go into the city of Fresno, I'll tell you, you know, yeah, I get vexed to seeing all this honking at you, yelling at you, flipping you off. Girls, too, putting on their makeup, talking on the phone. Same time you talk about able to do, uh, what do you call it? Multitasking. Multitasking, whoa. And then uh, then they you go you can't even go in the store. they got to dress, their clothes are so tight like they're naked. They painted black paint on, on the shape of their legs and this and that, you know. See, this is vexation of spirit. How do you stay away from that? Stay, you you got to just turn away, okay, and stay in your word. Tell, tell yourself, I love you more than I love that. Okay, <clears throat> that's why Christ uses a hyperbole. If your right eye causes you to, to sin, take it out. Better to go into heaven main than the, you know, than with uh, that Throw sinful, your whole body into hell. Yeah, then your your whole lustingness is still there with you. You know, your whole body goes into hell exactly because you can't go to heaven like that. Nothing pure can go before that. And it's believing that what the Bible is saying is true, that sin re- stays in our members. It draws us, even in your sleep, you can have a sinful moment. You know, it just, and your body is doing it. You know, you're not doing it in your sleep. You're perfectly innocent. <laughs> you know, and, and it's... Are you referring to wet dreams right now? Yeah, that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm using, uh, uh, not hyperbole, but euphemisms. <laughs> so that's, you know... Would you consider uh, this generation the generation of vexation? Or wet dreams. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Very much so. It's, or the generation of wedding. I don't, you know. It's the King James 
version of uh, saying that it's overwhelming. Kids are so overwhelmed with, they can't even, you can't... Uh, I can't even. You know, a young lady that she might not have already had premarital sex. She's already had it. Even if she hasn't had it, she's had it in her mind. Mm. You know, <clears throat> where's the purity? You know, before, when I say before, long before, you know, you, your social status was already predictated for you that you would marry so-and-so, you know, so that you would have a status quo, and she would, and it would maintain the house, maintain the community, maintain the city, maintain the county, maintain the nation, the state, whatever. Okay, because it says, if, except the Lord build the house, they that build it labor in vain, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman watch, but in vain. I just heard that Reedley wants to add two more cops. And another place, Selma wants to add, it was Selma wants to add two more cops because they had a some kind of thing that happened uh, here recently. And Fresno wants to add more, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman watch, but in vain. You know, the, you can't have enough. But if you raise them up with the word, except the Lord build the house, this is the house. Uh, they that labor, labor in vain. You, a friend of mine once told me that they helped this other this man and woman get a house. It, it was like this thing that was dividing them because they didn't have a house. And they were living out in the country and it was too hard on her. So he got another friend to help him uh, finance that. And I said to him, the house is not, does not make the marriage. You know, and he's he's a man of God. And I said, so why are you doing this? What makes the marriage is Christ. That threefold cord, those two and Christ, is not easily broke. Okay, that that's the house. Okay, then everything, yeah, the procreate, because it doesn't say, lo, the fruit of the womb is his reward. You know, and says, except the Lord build a house. You know, no, it says it in that, this verse, first the house, except the Lord build a house. Except the Lord keep the city. Except the Lord uh, keep the house. Except the Lord build the house. They that build it labor. Except the Lord keep the the, the city. The watchman watcher in vain. Lo, it is vain. To rise up early in the morning, eat the bread of sorrow, for so he giveth his beloved sleep, rest. In other words, that it's vanity to be worrying about things. But if you're staying in your word and you're bringing up your kids like that, so that they can have conviction that what they're doing is wrong. Uh, you're not going to be able to abstain from the wiles and the friends and the this and the temptations. You know, uh, they could just touch you and you melt. And, you know, same thing with a girl. Girls, it happens to them for what my wife tells me, faster than it does to a guy. You know, they can have they can have a moment right there standing there, you know. And uh, they want a lot of attention. This is like, you know, little girls, no, I say little girls, you know, they're 18, 19, they should get married already, but they're not married until they're 20, 25. They want to have to see the world. They want to fornicate with the world. They want to fornicate in people's houses. The average age of marriage now, I believe, is 27, whereas I think just 20 or so years ago, it was like 19, Yeah. 20. And before that, I, you know, I've heard of, you know, my mom said that her cousin got married at the age of 12. <clears throat> I don't know okay. if I could do that. No, that, that's, that's too... Now, if, if you were living in a country and not a very populated area, and the, and twelve is yes, way too that's puberty, coming in you know coming into puberty, right? Yeah. Uh, some of these kids were more mature, and some of these families couldn't even 
have a daughter, <clears throat> more than one or two kids because they're so poor. Okay, so it wasn't for that culture. It wasn't that you they're going to raise that little girl if she had the maturity and everything, you know, to keep housing because they start them very young over here. They start them very late. How to cook, how to sew, how to do this, how to do that. They're too busy playing around with Barbies and this and that. And the practical things of life are not being exercised. You know, back then and, you know, older days, they practice taking care of a man and a man taking care of a woman, being the protector and provider. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so they could, you know, they may be prenuptially agreed upon at the age of 12. That's basically marriage. You know, even though you're not married, you're, you're already... Uh, predestined to marry this person when you reach when he can come up with the two cows a, a male cow and a female cow and a male goat and a female goat not two male goats and two male two female cows can't procreate those two together <clears throat> but when you can create some status quo for the father because when you pull her out you're going to leave a little hole there of social of a status quo but they've already prepared the social status his family gets bigger he gets a little richer because this kid went through the trouble of, you know, earning this to give that for that wife. And she then in turn brings a dowry. This is very romantic, you know, and at the age of 16 or 17 or, you know, it started to go up. 12 was probably the prenuptial for most cultures. And then some of those that couldn't wait, you know, it happened. And I'm not, I'm not trying to encourage it at all, by no means. And today, today's little girl... Not at all. Absolutely. Mm. You know, uh, uh, my wife was uh, 18, 19, and I could tell you truthfully that I had no, you know, if, 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 if I knew a girl was 12 years old, didn't have qualms about, you know, taking her virginity away from her at that age. I don't know. I wasn't even, I wasn't even born again. But my parents brought me up in that way to what what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. And they brought me up and that that was wrong to <clears throat> do something that outside of marriage, okay? But now that it's here all the time and little girls are having, you know, uh, uh, carrying babies a full term, you know, at the age of 12, at the age of eight, I hear. You know, this is insane. Uh, it's this that's corrupt and vex their minds and their hearts, you know? I was just thinking about how... Vexation seems like a pretty cool name to for a new cell phone. Hmm. Yeah. Well, they put the apple under. You know that. You know, symbolization of you know knowledge. You know, mm -hmm. of higher knowledge, higher learning. You know, uh, so it's not. It's not just is a wonder that the apple is there and it's bitten out of. You know, it when he went to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she went to go find out something. And this is not even, I can't, not even supposed to say this today. You're supposed to find that answer out from your husband who would teach you these things. But it, today it's become so perverted. If we're following God and His ways, there's nothing perverted about His word. Nothing. Nothing. There's not even a cuss word in Hebrew. Okay? And there's not even the idea of coincidence in Hebrew, Hebrew language. Okay? You can't find one cuss word in the Hebrew language. The nowadays, they, you know, they, they still, they, they may call somebody a donkey or something like that. Or maybe found, but it's it's a new thing. But when it was first written, no bad words. Okay, so <clears throat> this is where all the Kabbalah Kaka is. You know, 
a lot of this. That's, you know, you that's another. That, that's why you say that word, David. Karka. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I say Kabbalah because mysticism and amulets and things like that, and um, uh, when you change gold, lead in the gold, alchemy. Al, 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 yeah. Okay, that's another topic for another time, but it's all in here. It's all you know. We can do it now. Even though it physically can't be done, but it can allegorically be done. How do we All stop right? that? You got to wipe out the civilization, man. You got to wipe out America. That's basically it, you know, because you're not going to stop it. Yeah. You're not going to stop it. I mean, it's already too late. It's already infected. We've already infected China. Okay. Uh, so bad that they're taking their people and they have to build themselves up on a point system. So basically what they're saying, you don't make the point system, you don't make the cut, you're going to become food yeah, or something. They've had to gamify life. Yeah, so it's going to become a point system. It already is a point system that if, you, if you're if you socially not behaving yourself, mm -hmm. you get points knocked off. Okay. How this long is, do you think before America turns into I think that this is already happening. Yeah. That martial law is already happening through this phone. That it's able to hear you, it's able to see you. Why, just the other day I was writing, you know, uh, he needs, I was going to say Jesus, and it said Yeshua. How the heck did it know I was going to write? I, ha I was thinking Yeshua, okay, and but, I, but because this person didn't know who Yeshua was, I was going to put Jesus. I said, he needs, and it wrote it for me, Yeshua, okay? Another guy told me that he was going like this, taking movies of people, and the thing was naming the people, who they were by sight. He said, I couldn't believe it. Now, I haven't seen that happen, but I'm telling you, martial law is here, okay? It's already governing our, it's, right now, it's, it's uh, checking us out, seeing what we're doing, our behaviors, what we think. When it finally comes into full blossom, then they're gonna start saying, okay, all you perverts, all you da 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 da. You know, if Sharia law comes and uses that, oh, there's going to be a lot of heads that fall. Not that they're a good thing, but they're perverted people that, uh, you know, want to do things in a very harsh way. Like, make an example, you cut your head off rather than reform you and put you through a school. You know, it's yeah, possible. Wouldn't they, wouldn't they not? They would be taking advantage of those who are the perverted. They wouldn't be taking advantage of those who are the clean. They would. And so, you know, again, that answers the question how do you fix it? You have to re-cleanse America. You have to destroy it. And, and God did use people like uh, um, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, different kind of people, to come and punish the Israelites who become so sensual. Mm -hmm. Okay? He can do the same thing in America. What's good for the gander is good for the goose. And what's good for the goose is good for the gander. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay, so what, how it worked for them, it can work for us by allowing another people to come in here and put women in bags because they're just showing too much stuff. You know, you're killing babies because you want to continue your bad habits. It's very narcissistic. And then you want to make up this story that, oh, this poor girl, she got raped and da-da-da. But let me tell you something. I know personally people that take those rape victims, babies, and raise them. I know people that do worse and they look for them that take even the worst of the worst baby shaken babies that are retarded and they only got two or three days to live they take them and they they're living i know some that have got them they're, they're living those kids are 13 14 15 years old 
They said there was no hope. So to say that nobody, maybe you won't want to raise them, but mm. there are people that will raise those babies that uh, you were traumatized. I'm, I'm very sorry for that, but there's a lot of little girls, a lot of girls that are walking around with nothing. The human mind, the man is made to procreate. He sees that. Okay, he triggers that. He's too busy working. Oh, saw that. Okay, I think I'm an entertainer, you know. For for wife to for kids. Well, the thing is with that is that the the as far as adopting a baby in America, the line is around the block for babies. Um, when they get four, five, six years old, that's when adoption is really difficult. But as far as I mean, that's that's why a lot of people go overseas to adopt is because in America, babies, there's a there's a there's a line for them. You're absolutely right. So this notion that you know nobody's going to want the baby or it's, it's already defected how do you who who tells who who gives you the right to become god and said this baby should not live well this is my body they say you know and i'll do it you know that kind of behavior it it may not seem it like now but give yourself 10 years and you're going to be very broken hearted because of what you did to your body and what you did to that child when you hold a little baby in your arm or when you have a kid, and then, you know, you're going to be tormented by that. Yeah. Okay, those doctors don't tell you that. Cursed. Yeah, this was not a problem in the old days. And if it was, it was dealt with. You know, you stoned the guy for doing what he did. You shot the guy. Or you married him. Certain cultures, certain tribes did certain different things. You know, there were laws to themselves. So one law in this tribe was different. One dogma in this tribe was different from the dogmas in that tribe. Okay, yeah. so... It's just, it's law, it's human nature, it happens. It's not like you're trying to, uh, you know, hide the elephant in the room. Every young man has the desire to procreate, you know, uh, with a female. And a female, too, as well. You know, this is a natural thing in the heart of a man. It's, it's when you go beyond uh, that you step outside of God's blessing. And, and see, since you can't see it, you think nothing of it, but there is a actual blessing to the ones that abstain from that and wait for the right mate, the one that God has planned for you to marry. And he's out there and she's out there, you know. So knowing that too <clears throat> should give you peace in your heart, you know, as a believer. You know, there's some young men too that I know that are not married or celibus. Uh, they remain somewhat eunuchs, you know, to help other children and to get married, um, you know, it would just mean that they they would have to give time to the spouse and they can't give their time to the raising kids or helping kids in Africa or in China because they're missionaries. Be someone that's married that doesn't have kids? What's that? A eunuch is someone that's married that doesn't have yeah, kids? Yeah, well, a eunuch can be either he was made a eunuch or, you know, so he can't procreate with the king's concubines, okay, <laughs> and for services to the king, you know, or he can be uh, spiritually a eunuch who chooses not to marry at this time because... He's doing the things he wants to do for God. And he's so caught up in that, that marriage would just take away from that. Like Paul, you know, uh, or uh, Paul, I, I believe Paul was married, but there are people that are so given to the ministry uh, in mission fields to helping kids that marriage, you know, would take attention from that. And they're just, so they're eunuchs for a while. And then maybe they meet another uh, young lady that's there, same thing too, and they complement each other more than uncomplement each other. So therefore, they get married, 
and now they're able to help each other with these kids. So God always provides for someone, you know, to be thinking that, to, to be acting like that is saying that there is no God. That's why they're called a fool. That's why they go and want to have more and more. They, that's not love. It's just fulfilling a sensuality. It has nothing to do with love when two people come together like that, two ships in the night, whatever. That's nothing but lust. Now, today, even more so, you got to worry about the the diseases, you know, that, that are out there. And in like, think about Sodom and Gomorrah. They didn't care what they were doing it with. They had to just have this sensation fulfilled, you know. It's like a... And more likely there were demons in there they were playing with their bodies, you know. And and then plus the body cooperating with the demon too. And it didn't want females. They You know, they wanted the angels. They wanted the males, you know. Uh, this society is getting that way to where uh, they can't have enough sex. They can't have enough this. They can't have enough that. You know, it's just gimme, gimme. It's just, you know, uh, and this is part of the vexation where that's what I'm saying that so long as we have this, there's no hope. I would say take this thing away. My kids didn't get these till they were 18, 19 years old. Okay, you know, we, we just did things. We censored the movies. We did things. We read to them. We read, We went to North. We went around the Cape in Africa. We went to the North Pole. We went to the South Pole with uh, Shackleton. We went to the North Pole with uh, uh, Frankenstein, you know, and, and books and things like that. You know, there's... There's other ways of entertaining or stimulating one's intellectual uh, form rather than just stimulating the, the procreating parts all the time, you know? Yeah. It just it gets you in, in a lot of trouble. You know, boxers are told not to do that because, not that they lose their strength, but because they get in a lot of trouble. Look what happened to uh, Iron Mike. Most all your great boxers, that is their downfall, is, is you know, women takes them down before they can reach the title of, championship you know <clears throat> but uh, that's not the reason not to get married or to abstain either because you're a boxer get out of boxing go get married that's number one you know and I would say that too to a lot of these young men and young women that uh, get married if you can't stop doing this Paul says you know he doesn't say get married because you can't stop doing this but get married because it's a natural thing to have uh, a desire for one another. You know what I'm saying? And then you're committed to that person. And you don't want to uh, fool with that person because it violates your marriage. You know, and much worse than that, it violates uh, God because what He has created. You want that family to be blessed? Stick with what the Bible says. And that can change this country, one family at a time. <clears throat> mm -hmm. So, I watch a lot of... Uh... Well, a lot of YouTube, clearly, but um, a lot of uh, uh, political and um, I'd say I watch more political than religious videos on YouTube, but um, and listen to political political commentary, but um, I, I I tend to get wrapped up in it quite often. In fact, there was one time. Uh, couple months ago that I realized that I had listened to I was listening to people speak for like seven days straight and I had forgotten music and finally I uh, it like clicked in my head because then 
for some reason I got I, I downloaded some new album and I started listening to that and then like it all went away. It was it was as if like I got so deeply into the politics, the politics, yeah, obsessed with politics, <clears throat> and then like snapped out of it. And so now I find myself battling um, the anger that I have towards the the world on a national or a, a world level, um, battling it by um, reminding myself to like listen to music and like. Well, worship. Like, you know, what we were talking earlier, when you give yourself too much to one thing, <clears throat> Bible does talk, speak into that too, talks about that being a breach in the spirit. Yeah. That if, uh, you know, I want to say 15 chapter Proverbs, don't quote me on that, but it says something to that nature that um, perversion is a, a breach in the spirit. Now it's referring to you and God, that there's a breach between you and God. Mm-hmm. Because there's an obsession. <clears throat> perversion, before it's a perversion, <clears throat> starts off, you know, uh, you know, you watch this and you've got to watch it again. And again, now that's perversion. I was an archer one time. I guess I still am. And I used to do a lot of archery that I would go to meets and tournaments uh, on Sundays rather than go to church. <clears throat> I, but first, I wasn't that good at it. Then I became very good at it. And I became obsessed with it. Then I would make excuses that I could find somebody there at archery and talk to him about Jesus. Oh, yeah, we'll make some Jesus shirts with crosses on them, you know. Hey, there's bows in the Bible and stuff. We'll write those Bible verses, you know. What there was was a breach between me and God, <clears throat> really because of my obsession to turn into a perversion. Anything you do that's more than God is a perversion. It's kind of like a, an arrow that's not perfectly a perfect shaft of an arrow. And when you pull that back and, you, and then you let it go, you may not see it. It may be so slight, but if an, if an arrow isn't perfect, then you're gonna it's it's gonna bend a little bit to the right or bend a little bit to the left. Or if the the hairs on on that uh, on that arrow. I mean, I don't do archery, so it's more of a question for you than a. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a chuckling inside because when an arrow leaves a bow, it actually bends around it, and then it. It does this wobble? It's called paradox effect. That's right. I remember you telling me that. Yeah, on a longbow, and uh, so if it's too stiff, it'll go to the left. If it's too uh, weak, it'll it'll go to the right. You know, and yeah. if you're not, and, and if it's and if it's super weak, it can it can literally snap and go through your hand like it did me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I put one through my hand. Uh, I used to pile them so tight, you know, and they damaged each other. Yeah. From hitting each other, it weakened the spine, so one. When I went to shoot one one time, uh, the arrow just split, and it. I was shooting a seventy-pound bow, and and half of it went through my hand, and the other half hit the trash can that was over there, <laughs> and nothing hit the target. And my son, my my oldest son, he was like four years old, and he looking up, and he sits. He would stand in my shadow because it was really hot. And I would stand there for hours shooting, and he liked to just stand next to me. So he would stand in my shadow. And he says, I said, hey, Jordy, did you see where that arrow went? He goes, yeah, Tata, it's in your hand. <laughs> it was so cute. And then I, yeah, there was a fletching sticking out and the arrow sticking like that. And he goes, Mama! I said, hey, don't tell Mom. <laughs> let's, let's just get our stuff and go. We went to the hospital, had it surgically removed. <laughs> And she, you know, Dora finally saw it too. And she was pretty calm about it. I was in there for three hours 
you know, and everybody said, hey, come and check out this guy. He shot himself with his boat and arrow. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> but uh, anyway, the paradox effect. Uh, some, basically, the paradox effect is uh, something that seems contrary to the truth. Something that seems, you know, you say, uh, you know, uh, all the great chefs in the world can't say that today, you know, but years ago you could say that. Are men, but then somebody says, "No, my mom's a really good cook." No, but we're talking about chefs, okay? So it seems like it's not true, like there's a contradiction, but it's true. And uh, um, as in, like your mom is always going to be a better cook than anyone else. Yeah. No matter their talent. Well, the paradox is more of um, uh, of um, when you use that. Okay, let's use the Bible. It doesn't seem that the Bible can clean you up, but it can because of all the trials. Because it says it right there, wherewithal can a young man cleanse his ways, okay? So there's no other choice but the Bible to clean you up. So if you read it and you stay in it and fall in love with it, and God will, you, you will fall in love with that book. I did. I was a heathen before I was, before, you know, I mean, the Lord literally came to me and saved me. I don't know if that's possible for if it's possible to understand that, but uh, he did for some, and he does for a lot. I'm not going to say I was the only, you know, unique individual. And thank God for those that come to you and, you know, tell you, hey, you know, I would like to receive Christ, and and you do, and they help you to receive Christ. They don't actually do anything for you that the Holy Spirit isn't already doing and leading you there. And this person just helps you, and guides you, you know, helps you along. But it seems contrary. That it's not this guy, but it's the Holy Spirit. See, so there's a paradox effect there too, in your salvation. That it's the it's the Holy Spirit that saves you, not that person. He uses that person through that person, but uh, initially it's the Spirit of God that seeks you out and has been calling you. And you and finally you start listening, and then this person you understand what he's saying because you're. I believe you actually get born again before you even hear that person because you're able to hear him. Mm. Does that make sense? Eyes haven't seen, ears haven't heard, neither have entered the heart of man and things which God has prepared to those that love him. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, even the deep things of God. For the Spirit man cannot can discern the things of the natural man, but the natural man cannot discern the things of the Spirit because they're not discerning to him. In other words, he's, he's, his heart's not open to that. And when it is, it's because the Holy Spirit is the one that teaches you the language of Jesus, the parables you know, that he speaks, you know, he says, let every eye that can see, see, and let every ear that can hear, hear. See these things that he's talking about, but if you're not saved, you won't hear them. It's just a bunch of gibberish. It's a religious thing. So this is what is the hope to accomplish when you meet somebody to help somebody to walk that line and to stay pure. That purity part, you can't do it on your own. You can't do it with psychology. Psychology can only give you a substitute. You know, and then you can, you'll, you know, like these AAA groups, you know, these higher callings, they focus on this phone, focus on that, focus on my nose. You know, that's, that'll be your, it's, it's a mind thing. It's a mind power thing. You know, you're going to fail. It's your flesh. And then, uh, you know, you're going to need another different codependent. I bet you everybody that uh, left one codependency is on another one to, you know, counter that one. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's hilarious. Yeah. And, and there's no... Uh, Pun in that, and there's no, and that's not paradoxical. It's true. <laughs> it's true. So anyway, uh, can we take a break? 
How much? Um, what time is it, Dave? 10.49. Did you say 10.49? Yeah. We've been talking for a minute. I don't know. It depends on how long you're going to stay alive. Because we could have another conversation like this. There's, I don't want this to be the last. <laughs> huh? I just need to go uh, uh, to the... To the bedroom, so you can cut this part out, right? Yeah, no, uh-uh, no, I, just like in the last video, where, and you watched the whole thing, didn't you, where you were like, oh, you can cut this part out, I was like, yeah, and I go, no, actually, well, it's gonna be... I gotta go fart, and I don't wanna fart in front of the camera. <laughs> okay. <laughs> David, you wanna take a seat? Where? <laughs> uh, sure. I'll sit in the hot seat. What's up? This is, this is George's son. Oh, Who's your God? <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Got me. Now I already know your answer on that. Dude. This is pretty wild, isn't it? Life's a crazy journey, man. So David here called me up uh, two weeks ago. He's like, hey, come out here. And I was like, okay. Yep. <laughs> you came on a dime, man. You didn't even hesitate. And now we're chilling. So dropped everything and came out. That's uh, that's what a brother would do. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think I've had many friends do such a thing. So <laughs> no, I, you know, I didn't do it for you. Oh no, absolutely not. <laughs> no, no, I did. I, I mean, like. It, you called me. I would expect you to do the same thing, though. Yeah. And take a deep breath on that one. Because <laughs> it's on camera, baby. <laughs> oh, you know it. Okay. Uh, Grab a beer. Now it's just you on camera. It's just me. How do you feel on camera? I don't know. I feel, uh... You should feel comfortable with me. because I feel pretty comfortable. I, yeah. I don't know. I just... I don't do this a lot. Yeah. This is not like a... I just don't do it. Do you I take mean, selfies? Uh, if I do, it's very rare. I don't even feel comfortable doing selfies. <laughs> it's like, a, you know, it's I, like, I feel like. So I, I, so on the iPhone, you're know. able to see like all of your, um, it, it will actually, <laughs> it will actually organize your selfies. What? Yeah, like, I mean, it will, like, show oh. you all the selfies. So, a majority of my selfies are, um, videos. Yeah, those are your vlogs, right? Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, your... yeah. But it, once you remove it from, I mean, take away the, the video. Mm -hmm. I guess my last selfie was, like, yeah, but it was someone in the picture. But just right. me selfie has got to be... December 24th, 2018. A couple days before I came over here. Uh, over winter. So this is a video, right? This is not a No, uh -uh. this was like my last like selfie selfie. Oh, and it was true. just because like I was at oh. Netflix. Oh, that's a, is that the headquarters? Yeah, dude. Oh, what? Yeah, I know. And I, yeah, and, and I've got all this video footage, but I still haven't put together oh, a wow. vlog. That's a, that's a uh, selfie of... Uh, Worth, yeah, <laughs> you know, I think uh, <coughs> people kind of just take selfies for bless you. 
take yeah, a it's, I mean, that's, that's a, yeah, I'm yeah. standing in front of the headquarters of Netflix. Like, of yeah. course, I'm going to take a picture of it. But, you know, other than that, like... I think, uh... Dude, it's been a minute. Other than, oh, here we go. What's your most iconic selfie? Then December 11, 2017. So it was no joke, like a year apart. My uh, most iconic selfie? Yeah. You know, yeah, some of those people, they like to take the most craziest ones by a cliffside or a. Uh, Dude, it's probably, the one, it's probably the one with my mom. Is that your hair? That's my hair, and that's my mom. That's my glasses, too. Oh, man. How long ago was that? May 11th, 2014. Wow. Yep. And it, and it didn't take me long to scroll to that. That's a good question. I'm, I'm not, so like these, are, these are all my selfies right here? Yeah. And it goes all the way back to about... 2013. 2013, wow. Yep. Yeah, you know, it's crazy. That's, is that iPhone or is that Google? Is that your Google account? I know Google does all of that and they... Nah, this is I, iPhone. iPhone is just okay. automatically like it does this. It's me with a mustache. Well, it's very Western. It looked like a dude. I know. Like straight like, out of like Kevin Costner movie or a, a <laughs> <laughs> wider. I don't know if people know who wider is. <laughs> All right, get out of the seat, George. You're up. <laughs> yep, my time is up. Your time is up. My time is done. Tortillas. <laughs> um, I tried looking for them. I can't find them. That's a brand new pack. Mm. We should have put my tortillas back in my car this morning. Yeah. I, I said to David that um, we should make burritos. Oh, Dad, they're right here. Okay. Where were they? In the fridge? In the fridge. Oh, roll up, roll up a peanut butter tortilla sandwich. You have peanut butter? Yeah, there's right there on the top of the counter. Oh, yes. It's a uh, peanut butter... Oh, you got the mix. Yeah. Peanut butter and jelly. Peanut butter and that jelly. That sweet tooth hasn't well. left me. Uh, but yeah, this morning, we, um, I said, we should make burritos, breakfast burritos. He goes, ah, oh, I don't have any, I don't have any flour tortillas. And I'm like, I've got some in my car. <laughs> so, what are you doing with flour tortillas in the car? Um, before I left, I went over to see my sister and her new baby and, um, and I, I took over all this taco meat, and I was like, you know, if you guys want some, you know, I this is the last night before I'm not gonna finish this, you know, so I want to bring this over, and so I brought tortillas, tortillas as well, and uh, how's the baby? Healthy. Good. Good. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. Good. The other two babies hate it though. Oh my oh, gosh! Yeah. I mean, they love, they love that. You yeah, know, but they the got attention insisted, is not. But yeah. I've never seen anything like that to where. Yeah, and you gotta watch that because sometimes they're gonna be cruel to the baby. And, and I'll call him out on that too. Like, <clears throat> the thing is, is that my my nephew is so smart. He's so smart that, like, I could mock him and he knows it, and he'll he'll just he'll just stop right there. Like he was he was up on the steps and he was going, you know, like. He just started crying, like whining out. He's probably five years old. And so I go, you know, he starts whining. Nobody's paying any attention to him, right? Because he did this probably, you know, 10, 15 times that I was there. So then finally, people just, we just kind of 
Okay. Oh, thank you. What anyway, so... What? And half of this? I can't eat the whole thing. Yeah, I'll take half. It's a peanut butter jelly. But, um, so I... I <laughs> he's, he's crying up on the steps and everything, and I... And so I said, um, I go... Oh, I just got a new baby sister, and I don't get attention enough. Ah. And, like, he heard that all the way through, because he listens to me. Like, we, I, I love my nephew. Yeah, you know? how old is he? He's, he's five years old. Okay. Five, probably almost six. Like, he's, he's going to preschool, and I did this <laughs> just right after that. He just, quiet. <laughs> and, like, I, it's getting to the point where it's really, really creepy, because... Like I, like when I look into his eyes and he looks into my eyes, is like there's something more there. There's something that um... intelligentsia. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Somebody's put something in my eye and his eye and like we like no, but 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 you know, like we're we're connected in some way. We're family. We're kin. We're blood. Mm. So whenever he just zipped it right after that, you're you're his hero. Yeah, and he didn't cry after that or anything like that. He just he just zipped it and then he came down and then he started picking on me and that's how I knew that it was like. You hit his soul. Yeah. Put a little seed in there. You know it's uh, it's cute. Um, kids, um, you know I can honestly say that when we were raising these guys, George, our oldest, he was a really good kid. Never showed any animosity towards. James, which is the second one, mm -hmm. and just help was helpful with the bottle and everything. I mean, he was he was. Uh, let's see, James George was already say five or six years old. Then James came along, and then uh, after James, Charlene came, and the same thing. They were very helpful towards one. Another. Nobody acted, you know, out of anger. You know, it. it I never saw it. Mm -hmm. Then when David came, they just. Treated him like they were, they, he was their baby, you know. <laughs> he was, uh, everybody spoiled him. You know, they, they thought he was cute, you know, wanted to play with him. And, you know, if he wanted something, they would rush to get it to him. You know, they just, they knew their place, you know. It's, it's just, and it's always been that way with them. <clears throat> Pretty good about loving each other since they were little. That's a God thing because, <clears throat> you know, we're all a bunch of brutes anyway. Yeah. So it's just in us to, to be wanting the attention, the affection. But I just say it was a God thing that I think our oldest set the precedence because he never showed any anger or jealousy or animosity. And then James picked up on that, and mm. he was that way with his sister, and they're still pretty close. And then uh, then when David came along, they all sp spoiled him. You know, all wanted to feed him, all wanted to change. I never got to change his diaper. <laughs> really. <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I... Note to self that the fourth one is the easiest one. Well, I may have changed it, but I don't remember even hardly any of them. Dora was usually right on the spot, you know. They almost... I could tell you, they never pooped, as far as I'm concerned, because she was on it quick. Yeah. You know, so I had a good... She was a great wife in that way. I never got up to go feed one, because she was already there. I was just knocked out. <laughs> Terrible dad in that way. I just... <clears throat> contributed when I could, but I just, you know, she was just good about it. Yeah. A good mom. 
my sister would always speak for me. My parents and my parents would always have to tell her to like, let Sam speak, <laughs> because there's Allie and then Megan, but Allie would always she'd always speak for me. You have two sisters. Mm, yeah. And then brothers. No brothers. Uh, no brothers. So I, what's your next question before I knock out? I don't know if I even have any other questions. I guess. Those are good questions. Uh, really, really good questions. Um, David. Yes. Do you have any questions that I should ask your father? What is your ministry as of now, Dad? Oh, uh, what is your? Mi- I'm going to repeat it just yeah. for the. Okay. What, what is David just said? What is your ministry? And he's about to answer. <clears throat> you know. My ministry, I've learned that wherever you're at is your ministry. If you go to the store, it's your ministry. If you go to Texas and visit, it's your ministry. Wherever you go, that's how I met Sam. Went to that first call in uh, Rockport where they had the hurricane. And uh, You know, I asked God for you, right? No. I don't know if I ever actually shared that with you, but I asked for you. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you know, I've that I I believe it. That's how God, you know the God answers prayers. And Jay down in San Diego. Wow. And Dylan and Cindy. That's wonderful. See, that's that's faith. Well, yeah, I asked for <clears throat> one. He sent four. So, gave me four. Yeah, well, that's good. So you asked for one. He gave you four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is that for you too? So just <laughs> make sure you, there's one there, one here, one over here. You know that's. Where can I go from your presence if I take the wings of a dove to the outermost parts of the world? There you are. <laughs> Some sort of influence of you there. <clears throat> but um, And then you can touch on the flat earth after you give oh, the ministry. Okay. I don't I don't know a whole lot. I can refer you to some people. But um, the, the ministry consists of up here is uh, the thing I don't like to do anymore, which is work on cars. I work on them. I used to like to work on them, but I've been doing it so long uh, that the only reason why I I like it now is because they're connected to people. Whenever you do something, it's not that <clears throat> that something needs to be done as much as it's something about the person that you're going to meet that owns that object. Cars acting up <clears throat> doesn't mean the person's acting up. God would have there be a relationship through a common need. I need to work, they need the car fix. You know, and uh, this is the way God works rather than have a, you know, we can call it a common enemy, cars misbehaving. I don't like misbehaving cars and you don't like misbehaving cars, but it's not that way. It's uh, a common thing, something that I can do for you, and then we'd start talking about uh, something religious and it doesn't I don't a lot of times I don't instigate it but I can't help them say well praise God I gotta go and well they say oh look you gotta go and say no nah, it wasn't me I'm not a mechanic you know I, I'm a philosopher I'm a I like English but I'm not a mechanic <laughs> you just got lucky no God gave me the wisdom to do it so I'll give him the credit let your light so shine so that others can see your good deeds and glorify your father which is in heaven See, <clears throat> that's, and so uh, it's with seniors. I uh, do a lot of cooking, a lot of cooking. 
you know, one year I cooked over 700 menus, took pictures of all of them. And uh, so that there's always a need there. And the common enemy there would be hunger. Or just <clears throat> food is a great way of bringing a ministry or showing your love. You know, very rare people share food. Very rare <clears throat> yeah, to see people share food. Hmm. Um, I And I can tell you I've, I've lived to see that. that um, there again, part of that was parents that uh, they always went to somebody's house, they brought something to eat. You know, I got to see that part of them, even though, you know, I can say I was abandoned in one say, sense. Spiritually, they did things out of instinct, you know, to be liked or to build a, a rapport with that person. And I saw that as love. <clears throat> and I still see that as love. I think they, gen they were genuine about that. But uh, we tend to do things out of instinct, too, to, to develop social status with that person. Well, they did it for you, so it's common behavior to do it back. But in this case, <clears throat> um, I have a pallet of rice out there, and uh, literally a pallet of rice. And I can go through that pallet in a year or less. Rice is my number one thing that I like to cook. You know, it's quick, it's fast, it's delicious. I can cook it a thousand ways. And you're good at it. You can add a chicken, you can add a fish, you can add <laughs> shrimp, you can add every anything. You know, uh, shrimp fried rice. We and we, I cook chicken this, fried rice. Chicken fried rice. I'm, I'm, just, I'm thinking yeah. about Forrest Gump. Oh. <laughs> you know, barbecue shrimp, yeah. <clears throat> uh, fried shrimp, uh, shrimp on. A, Barbecue or a skewer, uh, you, you know that part in Forrest Gump? Yep. Yep. <laughs> Reading off yep. all the things you can do with shrimp. <laughs> That's all I can think of is all the things that George could do with rice. Well, <clears throat> rice and beans are, are staples. You know, there's protein, there's a lot of vitamins in that. And my philosophy is always to cook it where babies can eat it and seniors can too. You know, seniors they have dentures and... Uh, and if babies can enjoy it and seniors can, then mom can certainly can because she doesn't have to feed the baby. The baby can feed itself. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and the senior, too, she doesn't have to help feed the senior. You know, the chicken's tender enough. He's not yanking his dentures off with it. So <clears throat> go the extra mile, make it tasty, make it delicious. And, it you know, uh, it encourages conversation. So cooking, working on cars, um, up here, it's uh, we have a lot of uh, drug activity, meth and femini, femini, fem, meth, you know, and uh, all kinds of, uh, we, you know, I still call them psycho psychedelic drugs because there's all the stuff that mm -hmm. they do, and I work on their cars, and <clears throat> um, I get to do, I get to meet them that way. Yeah. You know, we, I could tell you that um, as I sit here, it's probably not. Preachers listening to this are going to have a hard time with this. But people listening, the people that do what I do, totally can agree with what I'm saying, that um, preachers need to get out and touch. They need to get out and carry that seed and plant that seed in their hearts. They need to get out and rough their hands up. They need to get out <clears throat> frustrate themselves so they can understand what men go through too. Because sometimes, since it's a, the age of the woman... And they can't do nothing wrong, and it's the guy's fault, and it's the guy not giving enough love, this, this, and that. <clears throat> they forget that we got to work hard. Those are men. 
uh, and not complain. We have to be protector and provider. And, and yeah, we can go into character modes. Not, you know, uh, if you're preachers and listening to this, there's no such thing as bipolar. <clears throat> I don't see that in the Bible. Bipolar, you had a bipolar behavior. It says Elijah was a man of like character, of like character. And Jesus was too. It says that about him. Doesn't say he was bipolar, this polar, that polar. He was uh, whatever terms they, they come up with, you know. <clears throat> Those are all parts of personalities in different people. We just tolerate them, we put up with them. And, and pastors, if you're not pulling up, putting up with that and you're saying, well, he needs a psychiatrist, <clears throat> he needs Zoloft or Prozac or this, that, or whatever, you know. Been there. Yeah, you need to go have your head re-examined by the Bible because you're giving the wrong information. There's plenty of information in Scripture to help that person. And you can't be telling people they're this and they're that when God has made every made it all that way. Yeah. <clears throat> We're all full of emotions. And psychology wants to be there because it gives a drug for every different mood. And I know I'm an expert because I've seen every different mood. I've been bit by a <clears throat> Rottweiler asking kids to come to church, <laughs> have some games to be entertained. I've been thrown rocks at, I've been spit on, I've, you know, things like that, I've been beat up. <laughs> you know, it's just part of the, but this is what the preacher don't want to, he don't want to go through that. He, he, he doesn't want to be hurt. He, he just wants to do his time and be gone, you know, and, and his hands get soft. But I tell you what, that's how you get in trouble because <clears throat> God doesn't want you to be there. Yeah. He wants you to be out there in the streets and hanging out with the men. And not hanging out, oh, it's Thursday, you know, all of us pastors get together. And you ecumenize with pastors that you are not even supposed to be with. But because it's a free breakfast on the church, it's this, it's that. I'm not bagging on preachers that are very well needed, but the ones that are out there <clears throat> bringing the groceries and the ones that are out there not afraid to show up and not sending someone else in their place. Sure, that's needed. But the reason why you need a double portion, is it says, you know, to give, you know, pay the elder a double portion is because... He gave out his, and he forgot that he's going to need to pay his bill, so he gets that double portion. One he gives away, and the other he uses to pay his bills. Does that make sense? Yeah. So my ministry, I guess you could say, is to make up where the preachers don't. <clears throat> you know, I, I can tell you, my kids can tell you, we've been to a lot of preachers' houses. I can't name one I mean, that says, hey, George, come on over for dinner. Yeah. You know, they don't do that in return. They feel entitled to it. <clears throat> I'm not again, I'm not bagging. If if you're not if you're a preacher and you're and you're doing these things like I'm saying, like I'm doing, then this is conversation's not for you. But this is for you lazy guys that are getting too big behind the pulpit <clears throat> and hands too soft that you wash them with palm olive all the time. <laughs> Your fingernails have to be done. So get a little grease on them. Here, I just cleaned mine up just because I was going to have this little show with Sam here. But get a little grease under there. Get a little dirt. It's good so for you. You, you got <clears throat> more work to do, Bob. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I can scrub them and scrub them, but they don't come off. Yeah. It's permanently in there. Uh, <clears throat> I have all kinds of people that I... I have nurses, doctors, lawyers, judges, uh, poor people, single moms, single dads. Everyone, I have, everybody needs a car. Everybody needs me. <clears throat> um, we're more so needed than a fire fireman. Fireman is only needed for a fire. You know, I'm needed for, to get the fire truck to, 
over there to get the doctor to go. <clears throat> so God has given me a wonderful trade. For that reason, I love it. But if I have to do it for, you know, because I have to do it for myself, I don't like it. You know, I rarely work on my own stuff, you know. But uh, you, you give me the grace, Lord, to uh, understand how to fix it. Sometimes I don't know how I fix it. It just, uh, there's thousands of manuals out there. Sometimes it just comes to me. I'll go to sleep and it'll come to me. The Lord will bring it to my heart. Do this, do that. And, or sometimes I can't. I'll have to go to another shop and get a schematic from a brother there or someone who, who's going through a hard day and I'll pray with them. You know, and a lot, and I have a common ground with a lot of mechanics too because I do transmissions and they don't. And uh, they're always calling me for um, advice. So God has put me in a position where I, you know, the devil really likes to pick on me. <clears throat> likes uh, to, uh, he'd love for a wheel to come off after I got through working it, you know, so I can lose my house and lose everything I got. I take risk every time I touch a car. Every time I touch a car, I touch somebody's life. There's trucks that go up this mountain to, on a vacation with a family packed. Transmission blows up. They're, they're having their two weeks vacation while I'm doing the transmission. They pull extra money out of the bank or call somebody or the credit card. It's stress. <clears throat> stress on me too. I got to get it right. Then they got to travel another 15, 2,000 miles to get back home. So it's a lot of stress. The devil likes to put a lot of stress in my heart. It'd be nice if a pastor came over here, washed my parts, helped me to pray for me, really pray for me, not just say, well, pray for you, brother, or how you doing, brother. Sometimes these jobs, sometimes, you know, I'll spend two, three days, you know, self-employed. I can go three weeks without a paycheck. And, but God does provide. But it's not up to you to say, oh, God will provide. <clears throat> just the way you need food, the missionaries like me need food too. The way you need clothes and the way you need this, and people just give it to you, you need to channel it back. And I'm embarrassed to say that. I don't like to take stuff from people, but, uh, and I don't need food that's given to you by the government to pass out to people. You need to ask your congregation to give from their hearts, mm. to give from their pockets. <clears throat> not give because Uncle Sam gave it to you to yeah. distribute. That's not giving. That's not a church. Okay, and I, I've, I've, and so if you bring me that kind of food, I'm going to tell you to take it back. I want good food. <laughs> I want the kind of stuff I give away. You're going to ask my wife. We spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars every week on food, and it's not just Mickey Mouse. I don't do hamburger meat. I do steaks. I'll give steaks away. I'll give chicken, rice, beans. Donkey for the dogs. <clears throat> What's that? I said donkey, donkey for, for the, the dogs. dogs. <laughs> well, that one was a uh, sad story, but you don't want to see the meat go to waste, you know. And uh, <clears throat> But uh, uh, I'm not bragging about myself, but I'm saying the Lord does provide for me because you don't provide for us missionaries that are mechanics. You know, we'll die, and maybe two, three people sh will, will show up. A policeman dies and the whole neighborhood shows up and more and more and more. Uh, okay, I, I do a transmission <clears throat> and uh, there's a thousand pieces there. And I'm doing one right now for someone who can't afford to do it. You know, his status quo doesn't allow it. It's 1200 bucks of my money, labor, to do that. It's going to take me 20 hours to do that transmission. But I'll do it... Uh, 
I could use that money. That's 20 hours I could use to cut my grass, to do this, do that. I don't think about it. <clears throat> just do it. I don't think about that I need a day off. I just do it. And uh, that's why the Lord gives me understanding in the Word of God. Uh, why I, I, you, If you come and listen to me preach or teach or reprove or rebuke, it's going to sound fresh because I didn't downstream it. I don't know how to do that. I read it and I experience it and I live it. And I, you know, I, I, I get frustrated with things and stuff, you know. I've been told by some pastors I need <clears throat> depression medication. Because they'll come and I've got about... <clears throat> this is for everybody else in the world that <laughs> has been told that. <clears throat> yeah, because I'll be working on something and he thinks it's okay. He can come and interrupt me and he needs me to work on something on his car. When he should just go meet somebody at a, at a place, you know, to get the car fixed, pay the bill. Mm-hmm. But he wants a free job for me because, you know, I'm a brother and I'm going to understand. And he interrupts me while I'm maybe working on a widow's car or working on uh, a, a paying job to pay my bills. Yeah. <clears throat> and he wants me to stop everybody else and come in front. I can't tell you how many times that's happened in how many churches where they'll, the, the pastors will exploit the people and you know they're merchandising for their talents. Well, that's the that's why I stopped doing weddings and videography. Is <laughs> that not, I just I felt you're very like it was... that's really good to learn so young because some guys can do it all their lives, finally get burnt out, want nothing to do with the church because they see so much of this going on. And pastors, <clears throat> they realize what they're doing. The Bible says that in the last days, a great falling away will happen. Well, guess what. You're, you're, you're contributing to it when you merchandise your flock that way. You're not getting out and earning it and being a tent maker like Paul. Paul earned his keep. He didn't just give into the word, feed me, feed me. <clears throat> no. And then they retire? Never heard of such a thing. I went to this mega church one time in, uh, Vice, uh, what was it? Uh, Tulare County, big church. Impressive. And the pastor, they were having a big uh, seminary thing with people coming over on finances and this and that. And a bunch of pastors came and they, they got to talk and talk. And then the, the pastor, who was the main pastor, moved to uh, <clears throat> Palm Springs. And all you could hear him talk about was <clears throat> tea time, like teeing off for the golf. That was his favorite pastime. So he was 65 years old, 65, 68 years old. He felt he'd done enough time behind the pulpit. Now he was going to retire. And they had a home there at, at you know, in Palm Springs. <clears throat> you know, I don't want to hear that. Moses began the game at 80 years old. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't want to hear that. You know, the, Paul, I mean, his body was tore up like Christ, <clears throat> you know, beaten, killed, and and uh, left for dead. You know, how would you like to be let down a basket from a wall and they drop you? <laughs> I, I don't think that happened to him, but, you know, or worried about that. You know, you don't have, know what real worry, what real fear, what real frustration, that when you're going to pay your next bill. Maybe you had that when you first, before you became a pastor. Now everything's hunky-dory. I, I tell you that if you're not in tribulation, 
you better reconsider whether you're really a pastor. And it's not about coming out of one. You always stay in it. I've been in the cesspool of life since from the beginning. <laughs> and I'm, we're still in the cesspool of life, you know, when we engage with people and we get, you know, we get dirty. But that's why we have the fellowship of the brethren so that we can sharpen each other and encourage each other. Hey, so what? So what do you slap you? So what do you spit on you? So what? Get back in there and do it. See, that's encouragement. Mm. That's an, oh, you poor guy. Come on over here. Yeah. I went over here one time, uh, the mountains, and uh, and I always take rice and I take food. <clears throat> and there's a truck I was going to see. And when you get way deep in there, you're going to, you you get crazy people. And uh, But the Lord came to die for him, so I can at least go see him. <clears throat> well, this was about a few days ago, actually, that happened. I shouldn't, I'm not going to name some names to protect the innocent <laughs> that went with me. <laughs> certainly. <laughs> I said, certainly. Yeah. And so I we I got there, and I'm supposed to look at this truck, this unique truck that can cut trees and I, uh, I don't need that truck, you know. But somebody needs it fixed, and God needs me to go see them, and possibly they need Jesus. And I get there, and there's a little community of people living there, you know, all in, you know, into <clears throat> uh, drugs and things like that. And they're not wild or anything. They're, they're very polite. They see me there. Even, but the dogs were like ready to rip my legs off. So what I do is when I get there is I, I in my, the back of my truck, I have a cooler. And I take out the food and I start eating like I'm having lunch. And the dogs. <laughs> so I have meat in there and I'll throw the meat on the ground. Next thing you know, they're my buddies. <laughs> and then the, the, the people that are coming out, I say, hey, would you like one? And I'll give them one too, you know. <clears throat> Something already cooked. My wife will cook it. And then, so then I'm looking at the truck and what have you, and the dogs are just, and this one person that came with him wouldn't even come out of the car. And I told, and I told him, I said, he, I said, he said, I need you to come out and see something. Uh, I said, I really don't have time because I had my plan to go up to this mountain, see these, and do my rounds with people and stuff. And uh, he says, I'll come with you, brother. I said, oh, no, 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 I, I don't have time. He says, no, but then we'll go look at this other brother's problem that we have over here. And he knew that would encourage me. And I said, um, all right, but here's, here's what. I want you to dress down. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, dress down. Don't look like you're making a million dollars. Don't look like <laughs> everything goes well for you, you know, and like you get your teeth all done all the time. You know, let your breath stink a little bit. Let, you know, just dress down because where I'm going, we need to look like, like you know, <clears throat> not like uh, we're, we need to look like the people that live here. We've got to be all things, all people. Can't be overdressed or underdressed, you know. So he shows up looking like Indiana Jones. <laughs> he, he, he has this hat, you know. I mean, and, he's, and he calls me and says, Hey, brother, can I wear my riding boots? My, my, like, I don't know what I'm going to say. He shows up and, you no, know, the dogs, man, could, took one sniff and it wouldn't even let him out of the car. <laughs> he's rolling up the window and they're trying to get <laughs> But he didn't get it. I told him, dress down. <laughs> you see, the Lord knows who to send. He knows your heart first. <clears throat> and so he sends you because he knows that even if you get bit by a dog, it's not a big deal. You know, or if you get something happens to you, it's not a big deal. You know, it's the job that he has for you to do. And he calls you to that. You go there and the dogs are your friends. I, I, I went to see another guy who lived by himself. <clears throat> his hair is all green from smoking so much pot. Never seen anything like it. 
these gray hair, you know, but he literally he's growing green on the side. He's in the pot? I guess. <laughs> but he's a sweet old guy. <clears throat> he lives alone, and he lives in a Volkswagen Beetle. I mean, a bus. He has two of them. He has one that he calls a summer bus and his winter bus. And about 20 dogs, man. Pit, mixed pit bulls and everything. And I know he always has a bunch of dogs. <laughs> so I go to see him, and they're, and so I these dogs are... Sometimes it can be a little more. The other ones I didn't know. So all I do is I take my stick out and I tap my <clears throat> my truck with it. And they see me tapping my truck and so they back off. And I visit with him and I gave him two portions of food. And uh, talked to him a little bit. And a lot of times I don't get to talk about the Bible. I just love them. We, My wife cooks for them. If I don't have time, she'll I'll have her do it. She does it. And so then we'll, <clears throat> uh, and when I go out there, I try to bring something. 